0: VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly.
1: Well, alright, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. It's Thursday, December the 14th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly and David Williams. He'll be speaking with Dave when you pick up the phone to give us a shout in the queue and on the air. So, if you're in the St. John's Metro region, the number to dial 709-273-5211. Elsewhere, it's toll-free, long distance, one eight eight eight. 590 VOCM, which is 8626. So if you were tuned into the VOCM Morning Show, you just heard a caller doing 30 kilometers an hour on the Outer Ring Road because of the slippery, icy conditions, wondering where the salt or the sand trucks are. Fair question, because we had a good conversation yesterday with the City Council around Ellsworth about things like snow clearing and ice management and all the new infrastructure required. Consequently, my property taxes going up about 13%, but anyway, there you go. Storming in many parts of the province, so... Watcher your barber. Let's check in on the Newfoundland Growlers on their final road trip of the calendar year down in Adirondack last night with a 4-3 shootout victory. Fantastic stuff. Dawson Mercer scored a beauty last night for his New Jersey Devils in the third period to tie it up against the Bruins. Go on to overtime and one of my favorite players in the league now, Jack Hughes, scored the winner for a big win for the Devils over the mighty Bruins. And I've told you about a lady from this province named uh, Haley Ryan. Haley Ryan is playing in the NCAA ice hockey for the Maine Black Bears. So she's having a pretty solid season. Over the uh, past weekend, she had a natural hat-trick on Saturday versus Dartmouth College in a 6-3 win. She was also awarded Hockey East Rookie of the Week, an award won many times by another player from this province, of course, Boston College's Abby Nook. Team Goju at the WTG Masters Grand Slam of Curling dropped the game yesterday 5-1 to Team Ramsfeld. They got Schweller today, so they're 1-1 one one there. And let's check in at Memorial University with first-year swimmer Chris Weeks. There was a story not that long ago where he was competing at a national championship and he put up what is a national record and it was a faster time than was swam at the same age by Michael Phelps. So this kid is slippery. Let's look at how what he achieved at the uh, past week's Kemp Fry swim meet. So he set uh, the AUS, uh, pardon me, the club record in the 50-meter free. The previous record was set in 2015. The 50-meter fly, previous record set in 15. The 100-meter free, previous record set in 2016. It's the first time a Seahawks swimmer has held an AUS record since the 1980s. He also participated in another couple of events, second in the 100-meter fly. They won third in the 4x200-meter freestyle relay, 4x100-meter freestyle relay, and the 4x100-meter medley relay. So as a result of his Accomplishments in the pool at the chem He was the AUS athlete of the week. They're talking about the bright future and looking at what it's going to take to qualify for the Paris 2024 Olympics. Chris Weeks is quick in the pool. Okay. So, we've heard the stories of violence in the province of schools. You know there was a really serious incident outside PwC last year. We don't know if there's been any additional steps taken to do a better job on the school parking lot or the playground or what have you. And we hear about student on student violence, but I'm hearing more and more stories about student on teacher violence. Apparently it happens a little bit more often than we're told. So a story of a teacher being smacked across the face with a metal coffee cup, and people going after a teacher with a stool and the like. So Trent Langdon, the president of the NLTA says, this is pretty basic stuff here. We just don't have the staffing required to keep a lid on that type of behavior in the schools. And maybe the specialized training for certain teachers to deal with uh, youth who need additional supports for a variety of reasons. We never get much in the way of additional details here because it involves a child. And so that privacy is going to be ruling the day when we talk about details of these types of assaults, but that's pretty massive stories. How many teachers in your social circle or in your family have told you these types of stories? And if you know them, uh, bring them forward here, we can protect them as best we can, but so there's always lots of conversation about what goes on in schools and the type of curriculum, and yes, I'm going to continue to focus in on whether the province takes the issue as serious as it is regarding the downward trends since 2003 with the province's math, science, and reading scores. It's a big story. You know, the minister responsible, Crystal Lynn Howell, says there will be a transition. What does that mean? And inside the world of modernized curriculum and modernized delivery and moving away from standardized tests, it all sounded very forward-thinking, but from where I sit, is obviously isn't working so we've got to figure that out also talked about some societal societal ills in school including drugs when you look across the country in this province or somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 overdose deaths uh, this year but in the province of British Columbia, where they've talked about it being a public safety crisis for years and years, the numbers coming from that province, and unfortunately, now fingers crossed, we don't see this type of severity, but we just might, because we have been warned that there's a toxic supply on the streets. So people are being warned, you know, don't use a loan, have naloxone kits on hand, don't be afraid to call 911, because the good Samaritan law will protect you from being arrested yourself. So let's look at some of the numbers coming from B.C. Okay the bc coroner service not only issued a public safety warning yesterday amid what they say is a recent increase in deaths called by unregulated toxic drugs in vancouver pardon me in november there was more than 200 deaths associated with these toxic drugs seven deaths per day i mean this is the epitome of a health crisis people want to lump it in straight and nothing but criminal justice but this is obviously a health care issue as well so there will be massive debates about safe injection sites and harm reduction policies and a safe supply of drugs. In BC you can actually get your supply tested to make sure that you're not taking something that's going to kill you. Now drugs are dangerous. And even so, a safe supply, you can overdose on drugs. But these synthetics that are on the street are absolutely lethal. So they're making warnings of counterfeit hydromorphone tablets in the interior health region. So. I don't know how we tackle this conversation because, like many things that are controversial, the conversation's over before it begins. So in the province of British Columbia, the coroner's office is saying that these deaths are by and large been attributed to the toxic drugs as opposed to what people are using as a safe supply drug. You know, to insinuate that uh, a safe supply means everyone's going to go and start all of a sudden using heroin or crystal meth or what have you just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But those BC numbers are unbelievable. Man, seven a day, 200 in November alone. Since 2016, when the emergency was declared, more than 13,500 people in BCF died after taking unregulated drugs. What the solution is, I'm not 100% sure, but harm reduction policies make sense to me. How about you? Okay, still some confusion kicking around regarding the country's newly formed dental care plan. All right, $13 billion over five years, it's obviously extremely expensive. There's some 9 million Canadians that don't have insurance to cover dental care, so that has resulted in real impacts on their overall health. But when they just arbitrarily select the number of 87 years of age and over, and just a couple of days ago, we were talking about the life expectancy numbers in the country, so whether the likelihood of 87-year-olds having their own teeth still, and or uh, they don't have insurance and the life expectancy issue 87 way above what the life expectancy issue is here is still unclear exactly how easy it's going to be to enroll there are certain provinces wondering whether or not with the additional capacity for people to get some free basic dental care whether or not they have the clinicians available to take care of them okay People are telling me that it's a stupid thing because it's too expensive and the government has got to spend into a death pit. And of course, the sovereign debt levels are out of this world, over a trillion dollars. I think it's 1.2 trillion dollars. But they're talking about the impact on your overall health and the possibility to save individuals from the pain and the stress and the impact on the healthcare system. They report the numbers of people going to emergency rooms, for instance, with dental issues. And we can get into some of those. But here's some of the adverse conditions that could be caused by poor dental health gum disease, infections, worsening your diabetes, cardiovascular issues like stroke. So there's obviously a need to keep people's dental health uh, up to standard. So. I don't know if it's a bad idea or not, I know it is expensive, but when we hear the numbers of people that are clogging up emergency rooms, it's amazing stuff. So let's see here. Uh, In Ontario, more than 60,000 emergency visits were made for oral health problems in 2014 alone. The estimated cost, 30 million. And of course, taking up a spot as opposed to being able to get some dental care. Then there's individual stories of seniors coming out of pocket for thousands of dollars to try to alleviate the pain caused by poor dental health. So inside the plan though, they'll cover basic treatments preventative services cleanings dental exams x-rays fillings crowns root canals and tooth extractions and a few others on that list no cosmetic coverage and then of course it's going to be a staggered rollout you know eventually by some time in 2025 apparently everyone over the age of 18 will have this coverage if they don't have private insurance available also a murky area inside this world how do we make sure that people who have currently have private insurance remain covered by an insurance company versus go to this federally covered dental care program? But it's obviously going to be extremely helpful for folks out there who are suffering because there's nothing like having sore teeth, I can tell you that much. All right. So the worst-kept secret in politics in this province is who was going to be the Liberal candidate in the by-election in Conception Bay, East Bell Island, and, of course, former broadcaster, senior advisor to the premier, Fred Hutton. So everyone knew that this was was going to happen. Tony Wakem basically told the province back in November that this was going to be the case. And now a month later, it has been confirmed. He announced his candidacy yesterday. And I said by-election, but there might be a chance that it won't be a by-election. He'll be on the ballot with Kimberly Churchill representing the NDP, Tina Neri representing the PCs in a general election. So if you want to take on, if you remember that riding, and all three live in the district, which is not always the case, and we'll see where it goes, but this is going to be a hard-fought seat. The Tories have held on for about 20 years in that particular voting district, and this is going to be a bit of a battle, and if you want to take it on, let's go. But also, in the world of elections, and we remember what an absolute mess the 2021 election was, you know, people questioned whether or not it was wise to have an election during the pandemic. We were told that based on other provinces, success, that this should be no problem, turned out to be a huge problem. So the polling workers were quit. They couldn't get enough to do it. There was three extensions with the mail-in ballot. People had concerns that they could not get a ballot or didn't get it back in time. So lots of consternation for parties and uh, candidates, and specifically a court case of involving Allison Coffin and a representative voter. They're suing Elections NL. Okay. So... Curiously, there was a decision made by the judge to not admit some evidence that the uh, Miss Coffin and her lawyers and this representative voter wanted to bring forward. So the concerns were real. Miss Coffin lost her district by 53 votes. So not all the evidence that they wanted heard is going to be included. The lawyers for Bruce Chalk, of course, who was the man running elections at all the time, they opposed the report. Basically, said that it was unnecessary. Came from a person not qualified as an expert. All right. It would be curious to see how this lands, and the, co- the case actually takes, part, uh, takes place next February. But my question would be, let's just say Elections NL wins this case. Then, you know, nothing happens. What happens if Alison Coffin wins? Like, does that trigger financial compensation, or is it a by-election in her district? I don't really know. You know, it's important to make sure the integrity of elections are protected. Mail-in ballots have been used forever and that they can be absolutely effective. But the way that 2021 uh, unfolded was absolutely ridiculous. But that court case, so that's the question. And even if Miss Coffin wants to send me an email, if we have some understanding of if she wins, then what? I, don't, I really don't know the answer to that question. How about you? Okay, uh, let's keep going. So a report coming from the... Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, looking at what a living wage means in this province. There's always going to be debate about uh, $15 minimum wage, whether or not that cuts it. And, of course, the campaign to $15 per hour was started years ago. $15 eight years ago was nowhere near what the value and the purchasing power of $15 is today. Okay. So what they have found out, they're talking about what it would take f- for an average household, figuring out minimum expenses for the year, living space, food, does not include preparing for your retirement and or paying down debt. So here's what they've concluded. The living wage in eastern Newfoundland to make ends meet is $24.20. The northern peninsula Labrador, $28.80. And of course, the province's minimum wage standing at 15 I've said many many times I really don't know how some people are making it I don't know how they're making ends meet I don't know how they're taking care of their bills and putting food on the table and in many circumstances they're not so what do we do with this the province has the report in hand and they say they need more time to do an evaluation of how they arrived at those particular numbers the suggestions coming from the report also recommend extend leave benefits for low-wage workers strengthen pay equity raise the minimum wage reduce the bottom tax on earnings and redistributing the burden to the highest tax bracket So how do we actually take this on? The province will come back and say once again, cost of living measures have been addressed in many forms, including, for instance, $10 a day, daycare, and early childhood education. But those numbers are way above what anyone who's making minimum wage are close to. Now, there has been consensus in the House of Assembly. All 40 members voted in favor of striking a committee to look at the variety of issues regarding guaranteed income, basic income, and I know that that is rejected in full by many people on a certain part of the political spectrum. But what are the consequences of not being able to eat properly, pay the bills, turn on the heat, and all the rest of it? You know, it comes with consequences. So maybe we'll get one of the authors to come on and discuss how they arrived at these findings and maybe dig a little deeper into... Uh, the recommendations but of course once again this is for the basic necessities of life and if people are struggling with those similar those costs then of course the issues were paying down their debt the issues were preparing for retirement and that's one I think that's going to really jump up and bite us in the not too distant future it is not as common as it once was you graduate high school or university or the trades college or the fisheries college you enter the workforce you work for the same company or two for 30-35 years you got your pension and off you go Now, with the gig economy and people working the side hustles and changing jobs more frequently than ever before, preparation for retirement is probably lacking compared to what it was, say, as recently as 20, 30 years ago. So that issue there, I think, is probably bigger than we understand and realize. What do you got out there, Dave? How we doing? Okay. I couldn't see that hand gesture, so I'll just keep talking. Uh, What does it say? Man, the scribbles are terrible. Oh. So, Tony Wakeham, leader of the PC, is talking about the provinces managing of the uh, Newfoundland and Labrador Housing Corporation. And here's some numbers that they got uh, based on access to information. Ooh. As of mid-November, the queue to get into Newfoundland and Labrador Housing Corporation units had jumped to 2,977 people compared to 2,352 in March. That's a rise of 27%. The number of vacant social housing units edged up to 307. That's more than uh, 5%. Then, you know, of course, we get into the so called misspeak by Minister Pike regarding 750 units had been built when it turned out there was more like 11 had been built. Okay. The NLHC referred to 143 provincially-owned units that were identified for repairs, uh, requests for quotations in November. According to the corporation, work is done on 62 of them. Progress is uh, on another 56. So they say 80% of these additional renovations are either complete or underway. There is indeed a standard repair and renovation process. They say that all the units will be, be repaired by February. So there's a couple of things. You know, when you get a newfoundland and labrador housing unit to live in you can only hope that it comes with the mindset of treating it like it's your very own right that you're the mortgage holder because there's far too common for these units to be beat up and sometimes damaged extremely badly then it's the issue with ongoing repair so they refer to the standard uh, repair and renovation process and I'm not you know, advocating for more people working for the public sector, but this comes with a lot of complicated factors when we talk about the homelessness issue. So wh- how does that process for repair and renovation work? Obviously not working like it should because we had all of these units that were closed for repair and or renovation. And then they talk about the housing plan. And nothing inside housing plans settles the issue for people who are struggling to find a place that is uh, accessible and affordable today. Just a reminder of the five points in that plan that was announced in October I believe it was Low interest financing program to help construct rental housing or convert other buildings into rentals. That last part of that sentence, we haven't seen one move on that at all. So convert other buildings into rentals. Let's see where they go on that one. Making government-owned land and buildings available ongoing. Home ownership assistance program to help first-time homebuyers. That's also a federal program. A pilot project to help homeowners convert part of their home into apartments for rental use. That could be the double-edged sword, uh, and positive speaking on that front, and then making housing more affordable for hardworking people in the province is the key reformation of removing the gst hst and new rental housing bills but when they talk about and that's the next uh, uh, topic for the province's auditor general is an audit of newfoundland labrador housing corp which i think will be very illuminating and there's a ton of stuff that we could talk about here but uh, one more two more quick ones you know You often wonder, what the hell is going on in Ottawa? You know, the theater is kind of exhausting, infuriating. You label it however you see fit. And then you wonder whether or not our parliamentarians A, understand the rules, or B, give a hoot about following the rules so we know now that the house leader opposition leader andrew Scheer, was fined $500 for taking a filming a partisan video in his parliamentary office he's actually sitting on the board of internal economy and they they adjudicate the precinct of parliamentary resources so five fine $500 offered for non compliance okay this was all about taking a video to support a candidate running in south uh, southeastern or southwestern ontario then you look at what speaker greg Fergus is under fire for so he was making a video to support what's the person again, uh, John Fraser. He was the former interim leader of the Ontario Liberals, a longtime personal friend. But he taped it in Parliament, wearing his Speaker robes, and now consequently being taken to task about, you know, his political bias. But I mean, come on! I mean, he ran as a Liberal, elected as a Liberal, appointed the Speaker as a Liberal, and then of course we pretend that automatically you flip a switch and you're independent in full. But again, the Speaker should know better, Mr. Shear should know better, they should, should all know better. We see them breaking these very fundamental parliamentary process rules, and, you know, 500 bucks, I mean, it's not going to break Mr. Shear's bank, but it's just kind of tiring to see that they all should know the rules, and maybe they just don't care about the rules, and this is the best one I saved for last, and this is about the good folks at Collision Clinic nice Christmas tradition for the 20th annual Enriching Lives Giveaway program. They refurbish a car and they give it away to, and in this case, a Ukrainian mom who's working two jobs. Her name is Lubov Herslyuk. And, of course, she's got that vehicle and insurance for the uh, course of a year. So congratulations to her and her family and bravo to the folks at Collision Clinic. We're on Twitter. We're VOCM open line. Follow us there. Email address is openline at VOCM.com. Let's have a great show. When we, got, when we come back, oh, one of the good friends of the show is Dr. Janine Hubbard. She's a registered psychologist you know there's lots of people looking forward to the christmas season it does come with a significant amount of stress for some it's not all cheery and merry for some as well so navigating the holidays with your mental wellness uh being considered dr hubbard right after this don't go away welcome back to the program let's begin this morning on line number one say good morning to registered psychologist our friend dr janine hubbard dr hubbard you're on the air
2: good morning patty
1: good morning to you welcome back to the show
2: Thank you. It's lovely to be back.
1: Uh, right off the bat, a, a personal question. Are you stressed over the holidays?
2: Always. Yeah, But I think me it's too. important for people to remember that excitement is a positive form of stress, but it's still stress. Um, and uh, I don't know anyone who kind of gets through this period of time without feeling a little overwhelmed, without feeling uh, whether it's that perfectionism need or just the there are so many things and commitments and there aren't enough hours in the day. And, um, you know, those are feelings that we all have.
1: You know, when you talk about the uh, drop don't achieve the perfection that I had in mind for your Christmas dinner or the party or what have you, you'll be the only one that knows that you didn't hit the target. Your guests won't know and won't care.
2: No, and you know what? I actually had a conversation with a family member recently, and um, it was hard, but it was received well where I was able to say, you know what? none of the rest of us enjoy the day if we know that you are super stressed we would far rather do something much more low-key much more casual um than and have you just sit down and join us and hang out and not be running around so i think that's an important reminder for all of us because it's really easy to get caught up in uh, the expectations. And they usually are our own, you're absolutely right. Uh, Same thing, we get caught up in uh, expectations around gifts, especially for our kids. I'll tell you what, if you ask kids what do they remember best about past years or events or experiences, it's usually not the super expensive gifts. It's the, hey, do you remember the year that the cat knocked over the Christmas tree? Um, Or, you know, we had a power outage and we had to uh, go and, you know, do a frozen pizza at a neighbor's place those are actually the things that kids remember not the picture perfect Christmas
1: there's so many reasons why people might feel the Christmas stress and I think that's a good point you made that excitement does indeed come as a form of stress as well and I don't know if there would be different approaches or comments coming from you regarding say for instance for someone who's got the fear of missing out because we see all the pictures on social media the big bright cherry parties what have you it might be cost of living it might be isolation that causes you the Christmas stress because you see all the other families you know gathering and having a great time and you might be uh, isolated and alone and that comes with a very significant and very different type of stress. So let's talk about isolation. Are there certain oh, things that you should talk How should we talk about? Yeah.
2: It? Well, I think it's acknowledging it. I mean, we've actually had um, loneliness declared a health emergency uh, by the uh, U.S. Surgeon General So we know that this is a time of year where it is often felt most acutely. And I think if you are someone whose life circumstances has changed this year, whether there's been a loss, whether you're not able to be with family... Um, you know, doing some mindful uh, techniques such as if you need to limit some of your time on social media so that you're not feeling left out. Because also remembering no one is posting the video of, um, you know, parents fighting in the back room and um, all of the other stresses and unpleasantries that can go into the day. They're only posting the picture-perfect artificial version of things. So partly keeping in mind that what you're seeing isn't reality. Um, But then planning something. For some people it's maintaining a few of the traditions or things that are special even if you're doing it by yourself. For others it could be doing something completely different. Um, It's kind of like the counter-programming I do every year for the Super Bowl and I watch you know the the cheesiest most musical spectacle uh, possible. If you're not feeling it don't watch all the Christmas uh, movies. Don't Feel the pressure to decorate. Do what feels right for you. Um, And that could be reaching out and saying, hey, you know what? Actually, I'm feeling kind of lonely. Could we go for a walk or could we grab a cup of coffee? Or it could be just embracing the space and finding something to do that's meaningful and special for yourself.
1: And I would imagine if uh, I'm on the receiving end of that call, I'll be understanding it because I would have felt one or two or three or four or all of the above with those, those feelings myself. So, you know, people are ashamed maybe to talk about that they are kind of feeling left out or they are struggling to pay the bills or they are, yeah. you know, isolated or they can't have a party or they're unwell or they've experienced loss in the past year. But these are these are human characteristics that virtually all of us share.
2: And we're often ashamed, as you said, to raise them. Um, But yeah, you know what? If you um, want some company, You would be amazed if you put that message out, the number of people say, oh, my goodness, of course, I just assumed you had something else happening. Or same thing, I think everybody this year is having a very candid conversation about finances and, you know, looking to change things up a little bit and say, look, I know we, you know, have done a gift swap in the past. Um, or we 've done you know we 've gone out for a fancy dinner or whatever uh, you know what my finances are tight this year i 'm guessing um, you 're probably feeling the pinch as well and just putting it out in the open and you would be amazed at how relieved people are with
3: that.
1: There's a lot to the season. I personally look forward to it, but I guarantee between now and when it all wraps up on New Year's Day, I'll uh, I'll experience some episodes of anxiety and or stress. So hopefully these tips that you're providing me will also be a benefit to the listeners. Anything else you'd like to say about the season or overall what we're feeling? Because I don't think we even broach the fact that, you know, and I, I'm i as sick of talking about respiratory illness as anybody else in this world. But, you know, there might be some of that associated stress and you might want to say, I don't know need or want to go to that party because you know i have already had it once i don't want to be reinfected with something or other how do you you know should we be just as open and honest with our our people who invited us say you know i can't come because i'm worried about this or that because that, that that brings along an associated shame and embarrassment as well because no one wants to be fearful of covid because we're tired of covid even though COVID's not quite done with us
2: No. And I mean, it's not even just COVID. There are Nobody wants to be sick over the holidays. And we are far more vulnerable because remember, we talked about that good stress that still puts wear and tear on our bodies. We're not engaging in our regular like physical activities and exercises. We're probably getting a little less sleep We're maybe not eating quite as balanced a diet as we might otherwise. Uh, We might be consuming some more adult beverages. So just remembering that we are more vulnerable, but you hit on the key topic, which is boundaries. And, and this is incredibly hard, but trying to set some of those boundaries um, in terms of what you're comfortable with. And if someone in your network is setting boundaries like that, please respect them. They're not intended to you uh, personally. It's actually nothing about you. It is about that person getting through the holiday season and being able to enjoy it in whatever capacity that looks like for them. So please, if someone is uh, stepping out and saying either I can't afford something or I can't attend, but I'd love to do something else later, or can we look at alternatives please respect that that took a lot of courage to come out and uh, set those limits and boundaries with you.
1: Last one. How important, regardless of how you're trying to navigate whatever, whatever the source of stress is, how important is it simply to get outside?
2: Oh, my goodness, um, fresh air. Uh, I'm a big believer, especially in big days where there's a whole lot of social activities. Um, it's really easy for all of us to get overwhelmed and a little dysregulated. And so if um, whether it's just you on your own in the middle of a big day and you're feeling overwhelmed and it's the, you know what, I'm going to walk around the blocker. I'm going to go take the dogs for a walk. Um, but getting that fresh air, that exercise, if you've got a sunny day, we all know that that vitamin D exposure is off. Awesome good for us just bundle up so that uh you know for the conditions and yes please make sure you're getting a balance of activities over the holidays including just some quiet time
1: a bit of quiet time is good for the soul uh dr hubbard as usual really appreciate you making time for the program this morning merry christmas and happy holidays to you and yours
2: well to you as well Patty, and thank you so much for the time
1: my pleasure take care Bye. All right, bye-bye. Dr. Janine Howard, registered a psychologist. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're talking co-ops, crime stoppers, and whatever you want to talk about. Don't go away.
0: Win your Christmas cash with a VOCM Cares for the Community 50-50 draw. Buy your tickets until December 16th at VOCM.com.
1: Welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number two and say good morning to the Co-op Incubator Pilot Program Project Specialist with the Newfoundland Labrador Federation of Co-ops. That was a pretty clumsy introduction. Kristen Murray. Good morning, Kristen. You're on the air.
4: Hi there. Thanks so much for having me, Patty.
1: Happy to have you on the show. What do you want to talk about this morning?
4: Yeah, so uh, like you mentioned there, um, the Cooperative Incubator Pilot Program. So it's a new program that uh, we're going to be testing, launching, next year as part of the Newfoundland Labrador Federation of Cooperatives um, and uh, applications are now open. Um, so that's what I would like to talk about with you today.
1: Yeah, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, program. what exactly, yeah. how exactly would a co-op incubator pilot, pilot program even look I'm not I'm not even entirely sure what it means. Help us understand.
4: Yes. Let's break it down, shall we? So. Uh, cooperative incubator. Really, that's uh, a structured program, and in our case, it's going to be a six month long program, um, usually with the aspects of training, mentoring, uh, co-working, and access to funding. So that's the methodology that we'll be following. And it's really the purpose of helping groups go from their idea to incorporating a new cooperative. So that's the cooperative incubator part of it. And it's a pilot program at the moment because we've never done it before so we're piloting it um, we're seeing how it goes we're going to um, you know do a lot of evaluation about how how groups are finding it and what services are beneficial for them and what can we change about it to make it more um, you know more sustainable and more uh, helpful for people basically so that's that's the word that I was using earlier about the program
1: Kristen mm-hmm. you know give us an example or paint us a picture of uh, an organization or an idea or an industry that this is perfect for because I think people talk about co-ops when they talk about banks and housing and the fish co-op on Fogo yeah. Island and stuff maybe not as broad as what co-ops could actually mean.
4: Yeah it's a great point um, and you know to be fair that's that's how people understand start to understand what a cooperative is is taking in an example that's you know, say they, you know, it's from their childhood or in their community. So, you know, fair enough. But just like you said, it's it's so much more than um, those... Um, you know, those examples that you gave, it's really a model, so it can fit into really any sector of our society and world that you can think of. Um, And I I can give some examples. There's some really interesting ones going on in environment, for example. So these are people that are coming together for um, you know, the benefit of uh, creating an environment positive environmental shift. Um, We have uh, the recently incorporated Newfound Sand Glass Recycling Cooperative that's gotten off the ground here in Newfoundland, Labrador. Um, there's uh, one in Canada called the Sustainability Solutions Group Cooperative. And so they provide environmental sustainability uh, coaching and uh, consulting uh, nationally as well. So those are just some examples. Another space is arts and culture. We have a lot of vibrant um, you know, artisans of all types in this province in particular. And there's uh, numerous examples, but uh, the Labrador Artisans Cooperative Um, is some uh, independent artisans that have come together to share um, some i guess shared services you know equipment space um, marketing um, in order for each of them to um, you know get what they are looking for from that Um, and we have theater cooperatives we have gallery cooperatives so tons of examples in that space and um, child care, it's a huge topic right now, really important that people have access to child care nowadays. So, um, you know, groups are realizing that sometimes um, these solutions aren't going to come to them. And child care is certainly a space where um, people that recognize that there is, um, you know, huge, huge gaps in service um, can, can be a part of filling it. not only uh, themselves, but collectively it makes, um, you know, building something uh, much easier uh, under the cooperative model.
1: So how would the uh, partnership work here in the incubator for length of time, you're able to support me, funding that you're able to support with, how is it going to look?
4: yes exactly so um yeah i'll share some of the key uh, aspects of it so we're supporting five groups uh, made up of three people in each group in the northeast avalon region of the newfoundland labrador area just for now where this is the pilot Uh, hopefully going to be able to scale that there's no cost to the program um, and the program period is again six months so from february to july of next year this will be going on Schedule of trainings and workshops, mentoring teams that are customized to each group, access to co-working spaces, and access to funding as well. So each group will receive an award upon completion of the program, like uh, after they've incorporated through the program. um, But as well, we'll be assisting them with um, other funding and financing opportunities that come up too. So there's a lot of benefits from being a part of this program, and you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, this being a Pilot. We're only supporting just five groups at the start but the more people that are that are expressing interest in this the more funding and um, you know the more we can work on this program to make it as uh, robust and uh, you know widespread as possible to get more people in this type of a p- supportive program um, to see new cooperatives uh, develop at a at a more rapid pace which we would really like to see
1: it's a terrific model you know not for everybody or every industry but it is yeah a, a supermodel and i was really pleased to see co-op housing included in the federal and provincial yeah. announcements regarding housing because i think that plays a real incredible role here to fill some of those gaps and it comes with benefits we had your housing lead from the uh, your uh, organization on the show describing what it, how it worked for her i believe she's been living in co-op housing for some 30 yeah. years or something and you can't tell it's not like it's a set aside outside a regular neighborhood oh that's the co-op area they're just houses peppered yeah. in that they have an actual structured co-op so a lot of sense there okay you can Give folks the contact deeds if they'd like to be uh, part of your pilot program.
4: Yes, absolutely. Um, so um, you can either go on our website, which is nlsc.coop, or C-O-O-P, C-O-O-P um, or if it's easier, um, you can always uh, give me an email, and I'll make sure you get the right information. It is k-r-i-s-t-e-n at nlsc.coop. Um, that's my email and uh, yeah please reach out if you have any questions or just want the direct link happy to do so really appreciate you giving me the chance to talk a bit about this program here today patty
1: happy to do it. happy to do it Chris now when it gets uh, populated with the five groups give us an idea of exactly who they are what they're working towards so we can keep track
4: absolutely absolutely I will and just uh, in case I didn't mention it before the deadline for applications is January 1st so um, you know, happy to support groups who are trying to get that in uh, before or <laughs> after the holidays there.
1: Let's get her going. Time is of the essence. Yes. Uh, good luck with it, Kristen. Thanks for the time, and have uh, Merry Christmas.
4: Merry Christmas. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Bye-bye. That's Kristen Murray. She's with the uh, NL Federation of Co-Ops and with the Incubator Pilot Program. Let's go to line number three. take taking more to the chair of Crime Stoppers NL. That's Rod Pike. Good morning, Rod. You're on the air. Hey, good morning, Patty. Thanks for taking the call. Happy to take your call this morning. We did exchange messages with Susan to talk about, you know, a bit of a infrequent, albeit, you know, uh, periodic touchdown with you folks. So, what what do you want people to know? Because we hear Crime Stoppers attached to all sorts of news stories regarding crime that's happened. People look RNC looking for information. So, what do you want people to know?
5: I think probably the first thing would just be to give you a little history and a short history sure. of, of how we started and who we are. Uh, in fact, Crime Stoppers started in the summer of 1976 in Albuquerque, New Mexico. There was a Canadian, Greg McAleese, who was a detective, homicide detective, and there was a young 18-year-old university student, a fellow named Michael Carmen, who was shot simply attending the gas bar. Uh, in that area. It was a high-traffic area in in Albuquerque. They looked and investigated this crime for over six weeks and had no leads. They were going nowhere. And uh, Greg McAleese, said, maybe if we were able to reenact it on a local television station and open up an anonymous call line, that someone may have information. Sure enough, he, he put that in effect. Um, 24 hours later, they had a call from someone who was in the area identified a car with a plate number 72 hours after that uh, they had the, the solving of a crime and two people were charged and and uh, and went to prison not every crime is going to be solved as easily as that but that thought that maybe anonymity in reporting a crime uh, you know could lead to other tips coming in is what was the basis for starting crime stoppers since then it's global it's gone uh, I think it's 140 or 150 countries in canada alone we have over 80 programs and uh, i think there's 1200 programs globally and the, one of the amazing things about it is that in since 1976 that anonymity has been maintained so when someone calls in or now today uh, doing it on an app or going through online uh, means uh, can give information about something they've seen uh, that can filter through crime stoppers back to local law enforcement. And then the police have something that uh, they can work with. Not always does it lead to an arrest or a charge. Uh, It's a piece of a puzzle, uh, but it's, it's proven invaluable in terms of what law enforcement does in this province and across the country. So that's just a little synopsis of of where we
1: came from. Good place to start. Uh, I know as a result of tips coming into crime stoppers in this province, I saw this number some while back, that there's been somewhere in the neighborhood of 4,000-ish charges laid as a result of the tips brought forward. How is anonymity protected throughout the court process? Because that's a big reason why people just don't want to get involved, right? They don't want to get involved with the fear of retribution. Are people required to testify or do they have to go to police headquarters? Or is it simply they make the tip and the uh, police pick up from there?
5: Yeah, their anonymity. We don't know who they are. The police does not know who they are. And, in fact, the Supreme Court uh, right across the country and, again, in the U.S., uh, have protected the anonymity of Crime Stoppers. So uh, you uh, you can imagine that a a defense attorney is looking for as much information as he can get to protect his client. Uh, But the court has upheld over and over the fact that the uh, information given through crime stoppers is protected and uh, no they're not they're not asked they may be asked to identify themselves by someone in a court but they're they're never forced to do so so that anonymity is protected even when someone would call in on a line we've been asked how do you not know my number if I call uh, the back end of the systems number one they don't uh, have any type of call uh, identification on their systems and the back end of those systems have all been Um, enable or not enable to identify a caller at all. So it just comes in as from the area of Newfoundland or from Quebec or wherever it may be, so that when it goes through a national call center, they will be able to know where to filter that uh, call to a local coordinator.
1: And, I mean, obviously, if you can be protected the way you described, then there's no reason why if people know something about a crime and want to see people brought to justice, it's a ample opportunity to do what's right for the community. How does it work when it comes to rewards?
5: Uh, amazingly, a lot of people think if I phone in or people phoning in are, are going to look for an award, we will offer up to $2,000 depending on the... Extent of the crime involved, or what's been solved from that tip, but I think somewhere only around 20-25% of people uh, actually come back and look for the money. Uh, so what we found is that it's a, it really is a community uh, concern that people phone in. It, it's to keep them safe, protect the neighbor, protect the town. Uh, so the means is there to be rewarded for a tip that you give. Uh, it can be limited, as I say, up to $2,000. Um, but again, it's not something that's the, the prime motive for people
1: calling in. I appreciate the time this morning. Rod, would you like to add anything else while we have you? Uh,
5: just a couple of little things. Uh, just this year alone, and you mentioned some stats, I think the big thing that we'd like to, uh, we'd want to really distinguish, it's not just about stats, obviously. One of the things that we think it does is any calls that come in are going to create a greater awareness in the community that there's a crime problem. Uh, it really shows the willingness of the community to kind of look after your neighbor, look after your, your community. Uh, but this year alone in Newfoundland, we've had about 60 arrests resulting from Crime Stoppers, but 108 charges laid, 42 weapons seized, and since we've been in the province about 30 years, we're just under $10 million in uh, total recovered items, whether it be drugs, firearms, whatever. And uh, you were absolutely right on the money. You did your homework, Betty. About 4,100 charges laid uh, in that period of time. So it makes a significant difference what we do. I shouldn't say what we do, what what the community does in calling in tips. Um, so we're looking forward to 2024 being an even more uh, productive year for us. Uh, our Crime Stoppers Month each year is in January. It will be again this year, or in 2024. And we're hoping to come back to you with some events that we're going to have in January, talk about what we're going to be doing throughout the year. And we're also expanding our footprint across the province. We want more communities to be actively involved because we think we're just scratching the surface on what we can do. Um, so the, the uh, theme for next year is be a Crime Stopper, keep your community safe. You know as well as anyone from your show the number of uh towns that are dealing with different crime issues coming in it's rampant so we simply want to be a means by which people can start to fight that and uh, make it safer for everyone
1: i've heard the ad so many times i know the number it's 1-800-222-TIPS which is 8477
5: 100 percent correct and if anyone wants to go into nlcrimestoppers.com they can go into our website and uh, get some information there it's always uh, kept current with stats It's kept current with uh, some crimes or or activities that people may want to know about. So I would encourage you to do that as well. Um, The other thing that we're going to be talking about in 2024, and hopefully with you, are going to be things like illicit tobacco and trade, organized crime, human trafficking. These are all things that uh, are very active here in the province, and not everyone is aware of that. Uh, So we'd like to give some
1: insight and uh, help educate
5: everybody on that as well.
1: I look forward to the update in January, and I appreciate the time this morning, Rod. Really appreciate you giving us the time. You have a great Christmas, and uh, thank you again. The very same, too. Talk soon. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. It's Rod Pike. He's the chair of Crime Stoppers NL. 1-800-222-TIPS. All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, Eliza Swires is in the queue. She's the co-chair of Tip at Vista Wellness Center. Then we'll talk about people seeing used needles on the road, the Canadian dental plan, whatever you want to talk about. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number eight. Liz, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are
6: you?
1: Excellent. How about you?
6: I'm good. Thank you so much. for. Uh, thank you so much. I needed to thank you uh, for putting the call out. I called about the Outer Ring Road, and how there was no salt trucks, and we were doing 30 uh, back to back. It was crazy. I was trying to get to court. I was late. Uh, fortunately enough, the, the judge allowed me to enter, which was great. It got put over until January, which is wonderful. And then on my way home, Patty, I on the Outer Ring Road coming back to Paradise, I seen a salt truck. <laughs> the roads were dry i flashed me lights i blew the horn i said well buddy i gotta call i gotta call in the vocm and thank you very much and then as i was calling i was passing a Bercy's contract contracting a big truck with an open box and something blew out of it and almost struck me truck it was wicked
1: <laughs> but like, it missed you thankfully
6: got to be done about all this transport on the roads and everything it's ridiculous
1: yeah, a unsecured secured can be extremely dangerous, especially when we're talking places like the Outer Ring Road, where you're probably going around 100. So oh, I'm, yes. I'm glad that whatever blew out missed you, and I'm glad to hear the salt trucks are out because I actually heard your call with Jerry Lynn this morning in the on the morning show.
6: Oh, okay. Well, thank you very much. And again, I just want to put it out to the people. Guys, if you have any issues, if you see anything wrong, and it's going to you know, affect our citizens... Uh, call in the VOCM because you guys are awesome. I listen to you every day, every morning. It's my first time on the air, first time caller, as they say.
1: Well, I'm glad you made time for the program. Thanks for tuning in.
6: All right. Thanks, Patty. Have a good day.
1: You too, Liz. All the best. All right. Bye. bye Bye-bye. All right. Let's get another one before we get to the news. Line number four, Harold, you're on the air.
7: Yes, hi, Paddy. How you
1: doing? Doing okay. How about you?
7: That's good. Good, good. Paddy, I'm calling out the Needles, the uh, needle Exchange, and everything that was on there uh, that's been going back and forth. I remember there a little while ago, the Needles used to have the pay for them. Now, Paddy, you can go into the super, uh, into, uh, shoppers and the drugstores and everything you can get them all for free. And, you know, Paddy, I got to say, on the street, it's more Needles than now than you can shake a stick at.
1: I saw two discarded needles on my afternoon walk yesterday afternoon.
7: And you know, my buddy, I, if it was only two that I see in every three minutes, i got to be honest and truthful with you, I'd be happy. But I'm telling you, it's, 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 I mean, it's bags of them. And they're not even used, like, because I just, I, I have a tendency sometimes just to go and pick them up, right? And, you know, just like, you know, there's a drain or there or something there. they try to get them away from the kids anywhere. But it's unreal. When, you know, I find when you get something for nothing, you get it, you take it, it's been a, it's been a big, big, it's been taken advantage of so much. It's unreal.
1: Well, the problem is, if we didn't have safe needle exchange programs, then what we'd have more and more people getting hepatitis, because they'd be sharing needles or using dirty needles, so that's the issue there. I think it comes with a cost to the coffers, but I think it's a reduced cost, because dirty needles and hepatitis is a much bigger thing. You know, there's certain areas where it's more prevalent than others. You know, like there's needle depositories or receptacles down around Kitty Vidi Lake, I think there's some up around Monday Pond, and other parts of of the city, you know, but we're also talking about people who are really unwell and not making good decisions to say the least so that's why we're going to continually to see continue to see these needles strewn all over the place you know people are also opposed to a place where you can go do a safe injection you know a safe injection site it's a helpful part of harm reduction policy in my personal opinion but so many people are you know not in favor of it it's an important conversation to have with your kids especially if you live and play around an area where you know what happens all, all the time don't pick up the needles kids yes mom or dad or adults if you see them, pick them up and put them in the next receptacle that you see but kids should never ever ever touch it need to be warned about it
7: like I, I I can go I can count five areas of the city where I go I just walk walk through I do a lot of walking and in those five areas of the city that I go I'm not joking if I don't see a Dominion bag full or a Sobeys bag or whatever full of them not used uh, just laying around the ground and 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 bands and uh, you got your condoms and you got everything done, and so it's all laying around the bound, ground your are past the whole works and everything so it's all just thrown around there probably for one needle just to be taken out of that and used, the rest to be tossed around.
1: We got to do better, but of we course we got
7: to start doing better. Sometimes they got to start doing better because you know what? It's 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 more thin because you know what? Just, uh, like I I I walk down down these certain areas and I see kids and everything there, and you know the next day I'm, I'm checking these areas and see if there's any needles or anything or anything around there because you know they got none, They're not my kids or anything, but they are my kids. They're God's children, and the way I look at it is that you know I wouldn't want to see it happen to the next to neighbor's cat, alone not my cat. You know. Fair enough, Harold. Oh, I,
1: remember. I, I remember. understand your concern because it was just yesterday I saw two needles on the ground.
7: Yeah, and it's, it's, it's really hurtful when you see that because, you know, it's such a beautiful, beautiful city that we have. And, you know, anyone that's out there uh, and understand where I'm coming from, uh, you know, that that have, uh, uh, say, a driver's license and it's expired or old tickets or something on it, why don't the governments just turn around and have them going around picking them up?
1: People talk about chain gang stuff all the time, right? You know, you know doing some of that up, community service. Up, pick, yeah,
7: picking up, picking up to the evens, and, and uh, take, uh, you know, uh, take some, some for so long, and they take so much off the license, take so much off the license, you know, or up putting offences for uh, the moose and stuff like that, you know. They're talking about getting things done. Well, this is a way to get things done.
1: Harold, not know. bad suggestions. I'm late for the and news. I don't but I to jump
7: from p- one p- thing p- from a p- moose p- to p- another thing to another thing. But what I'm jumping from is the easiest way of getting it picked up. Uh, you know, a lot of the tickets will never be paid. But I guess if they're being paid, I get the opportunity to turn around and go in and go out there and pick, uh, pick up the needles. And I owe a few tickets. I'd be the first one out to pick them up. I'd be the first one out to turn them around and putting uh, fences up. You know.
1: Okay. I'm late for the news, Harold, but I appreciate the time and the topic. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. All the best. All right, bye-bye. Let's take a break. For those of you in the queue, Sam, John, John and Herb, you stay right there. Don't go away.
0: Make a request anytime by calling 709 273 5211 or 1 888 590 8626. And your request just might win you a cozy VOCM Winter Took. Your Merry Christmas Station. Your VOCM.
1: Welcome back to the program. Let's begin this hour on line number five. Good morning, John. You're on the air.
8: Good morning, Petty.
9: I'm going to sound like a broken record to you after a while. <laughs>
7: You are to hear in so many calls about the dental program that the government is getting on the go. Right. I was wondering what uh, would qualify you
10: to, to get new dentures.
1: Well, there's a provincial program for dentures, and you can only get one set per year, tops or bottoms, and so this dental program nationally does not cover dentures.
7: Oh, so how do I get contact
10: to? to get, uh, 10 months covered, the
1: provincial one. The Provincial Dental Plan? I'll see if i got a, a number here close by. OK, one second. Provincial Dental Plan and Ding. All right, Dental Services, General Info, Health and Community Services. And there's probably a very basic contact number here for this program. Let's see, so you should, you, I mean, number one, the easy one is you can just call 811 and they will give you the particular contact information that you need. Do you use email as well? No, I don't. Okay, so what I would do is I'd simply call 811 because the contact contact number here is just the general number for the Department of Health, which is probably not what you need. Uh, see if I can spot that quick while we have you. General public. No. No, so there's no real easy contact beyond 811, and the healthinfo.gov.nl.ca are the ones that I usually recommend here. But I tell you what, uh, John, uh, I'll put you on hold, and I'll see if I can find one by the upcoming break. And if not, just call 811. Okay, there. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. All the best. All right. I'll put them on hold, Dave, just in case I can find a better contact number. Let's go to line number four and say good morning to the co chair Tipa Tip of Vista Wellness Center. That's Eliza Swires. Good morning, Eliza. You're on the air.
3: Good morning. How
1: are you this morning, Dave? Doing very well, thanks. How about you?
3: I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Um,. I'm calling in. I, I thought you were going to ask me some questions. Start with.
1: <laughs> I will. but Basically, you know, we're talking about a holistic approach to healthcare care issues. Uh, the beginning, I think, is you're going to the Bonavista area on the Bonavista Peninsula. So there's yes. been a big investment, over half a million dollars, to set up some of these, what you're calling, transformative three-year ventures. But what specifically are you folks doing regarding a holistic approach to health care? Uh,
3: well, what we're trying to do is... Uh, to look at as many determinants of health as possible, because we believe that uh, there are many things in the run of the day that we encounter uh, affects our mental or physical well-being. Yep. And lots of times, it's like those things are overlooked, and we don't realize how much of an effect that they do have on us. So we. Um, the YMCA and TIPA put out a survey uh, recently and they got some good feedback from it uh, because you want to ask the people, like, what is it that you want? Like, it's easy to say what we think people want, but we could be developing the wrong programs. So if they come to us and say, like, we need... Uh, this kind of a program, or that that will help us, or individuals that we know, and families, then we can uh, tailor those programs to meet those needs. And now they're not. A lot of them are identified, but the programs aren't developed, and the people that would be uh, partaking of those programs really have not been uh, had discussions with them yet. So we got a bit of work to do, but it's it's a very exciting step because it's more or less a slow and steady thing. Because we all know that people want quick fixes, and quick fixes doesn't seem to work because they're not uh, you know we got to do step by step until people are built up within their minds and their wills to want to do better with their lifestyle and and that's a turnaround that's a turnaround from uh i want a pill to fix this i want a pill to fix that i want a piece of equipment that's going to help me here and all those things come out there all for those quick fixes and i think it leads a lot of people uh discouraged because it's not getting them where they want to be
1: so and you're right people want their solutions and their issues dealt with immediately but it's not that simple because first off we have to you know understand who you are where you are and why you feel the way you feel so like what does the center offer insofar as the tangibles like if i walked into a center or is it actually a physical entity or are we simply talking about you know trying to uh, deal with program that would address them 300 people so is there an actual physical center
3: well, uh, there is a center, but uh, the former Eastern Health has moved in on the first, the second floor with their office, Mental Health and Addictions um, and Public Health, and there's two nurse practitioners up there doing family practice, but it's separate from what we're doing, but yet we're going to be partnering to assist with new programs. The gym area in this former high school, it's being refurbished. Uh, There's a lot of work done, and there's still some left to do. And uh, once it's fully developed into a gym, then uh, we can work on the programs that uh, the YMCA will help uh, initiate and implement for, for the people.
1: Whatever we have to do to, you know, deal with what is the key aspects of the health accord, and that would be the social determinants of health, because what we do now is we currently react after you get sick versus try to keep you well in the first place. So inside of this world of preventative medicine, give us an idea. So if I'm one of the 300 people, and I think there's, you know, I'm talking about a catchment to a number of some 8,000, but if I'm one of the 300 people, as I think a number that I read in here, is exactly what's going to happen. So what, what are you going to ask me?
3: Okay. Well, if uh, if I want to be a participant, and this is one thing that individuals right across the province need to come to terms with, I think. If if we're to do better with our health, we have to be an active participant <laughs> with our own health. And people fail to do that. Like I said before, they want something because it's hard. It's hard to start over and change your lifestyle and go into the future to get into a program that at first you're not really interested in. So if, if I'm an interested person, uh, I will go to the YMCA and I will sign up and Uh, Now, the YMCA is going to do this. I'm not going to be a part of this. Neither really is TIPA Vista. uh, But you go to the YMCA and you discuss um, what you would like uh, your health outcomes to be. But in the meantime, um, uh, Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services' uh, rural zone, which is what we are right now, we're the rural zone, Uh, Somebody from that department will talk to you about and take your vitals um, and check your blood, you know, your sugars and everything. So you will start off with certain vitals done, and you will be monitored probably every six months as you participate. So we want to see outcomes, of course, because it's not going to participate just to participate and not know uh, like what your health was like when you when you started, what is it that you feel like you need to do and how do I get there, like you got to be monitored along the way to see if you're improving and but there's more to it than just like getting your sugars checked and, and things like that because there's things to do with your mental health of course that cannot be monitored by uh, taking your blood pressure and things like that so we've got to develop programs as well to look at the mental uh, the mental challenges and the social challenges people face that when into a program it can help them in other areas of their uh, physical and mental well being because if they're socially challenged, they can participate in programs where they will outgrow their limitations for socializing with people and moving on with their lives and believing that they can do much more than what they think they're capable of doing now. You've got to build up people, and you've got to take them on a, a road whereby you're not just pushing them along the way that you're assisting them and encouraging them and each step that they take they see like to some people those steps would be very very insignificant because they're small but to those who need those small steps uh, those individuals and their families Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing what those little things can do. And this is where we want to be. Like, let's take those small steps. Let's move ahead. Let's be consistent. Let's be persistent in it. And let's encourage each other because we know we had to start over. Like, health is deteriorating, and, and that's a reality.
1: Yeah, our health outcomes exactly. are not where they need to be. So this is a collaboration between NL Health Services, the YMCA, and the town of Bonavista. The funding came from the North, P- North Pine Foundation. They're spreading the money around pretty liberally, which is excellent, I suppose. Uh, Eliza, if people want to contact you, if they're in Bonavista, what do they need to do?
3: Uh, well, they can reach me by email. They can call me, or they can, and they can also call the YMCA, I'm sure. That uh, they won't mind uh, getting in contact with them to see, uh, you know, how many people are interested. Because we do want to, uh, over the course of the next three years, we would. Our goal is to get a hundred people registered in the first year. Now we'll take more. Uh, but hopefully, within the three years that this uh, that this uh, collaboration is with with Tipa Vista, we're hoping that 300 people will take a good look at their health and what they want to do to make it better and to move into the future. Not just for three years. So there's contacts. I mean. Uh, and I'm sure if they contacted uh, somebody within the Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services, they they would love to talk to you.
1: Sure. And if someone uh, sends me an email, for instance, I'll share your email address with them because I have it here. I appreciate the time. Good luck with this, Eliza. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. And we'd
3: like to thank North Pine for their uh, their faith in uh, in our
1: venture. And I wish you well. Thank you for this. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Eliza Swires, co-chair, of Vista Wellness Center. You want me to take another one here, Dave? Uh, and what one is it line number two line number three uh, let's go line three Robert you're on the air hello hello Paddy. yeah uh, I just called
9: a little while ago and I got a hold of the, I say Williams on, on the keyboard or whatever anyway uh, I call about I don't I'm going to keep it I was uh, up on the horse Sunday morning and uh, I was giving the truck driver a hand it was have F- been the ex- accident ex- that night but it was someone with walks with the skip for lunch or skip the dishes, please. Yep. You there, Paddy? I'm listening. Oh, okay, I heard a beep. And I just kind of want to just find out who's who or who, who you. could you put it out over there? that uh, I got picked up the two, two uh, carry bags for carrying them their sack bag here and stuff.
1: Sure, so if you're a skip driver and you're in Taurus Cove and I, you lost... No, I'm not a driver, no. No, that's not what I said. The, hold on, Robert, just hold on okay. a second. Okay. If okay. you, not you, if the listener is a skip the dishes driver and lost a couple of bags in Taurus Cove, Robert has them and we can help connect you if you'd like to retrieve your bags. How's that? Yeah. Does that work?
10: Yeah. That's good. Yeah.
1: Sure. Okay. I, I appreciate you the time. my number there? Pardon? you have my number to give to Buddy? We or do. We or have we? your number. Yep. Okay then. Dave's got it. Thanks. Appreciate this. Thanks. No problem, sir. Thanks, Robert. All the best. Uh, And to call our John about dentures and the federal program, I was wrong they are covered. Some of the services covered under the dental care program and when I read the story the first time there was a lot of this information left out so this is good and very helpful and thanks to Donna and Mary for sending it along. Preventative services including scaling, cleaning, polishing, sealants and fluoride. Diagnostic services including examinations and x-rays. Restorative services including fillings, crowns and dentures. Endontic services including root canals and treatments. uh, uh, Post-prostation. services, including complete and partial removable dentures, periodontal services, including deep scaling, oral surgeries, including extraction. So John, you are indeed covered if you're over the age of 87, forget to get your dentures dealt with. So thanks to Mary and Donna for correcting me. We want to get the correct information out there as usual. Let's take a break. When we come back, Sam's in the queue to talk about this time of year and what it means to some people. Maybe it's overwhelming. John's got a bouquet to flick around and Herb's looking for volunteers. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Sam. You're on the air.
11: Good morning, Patty, and how are you?
1: I'm doing okay. How are you doing?
11: Good. You ready for Christmas?
1: I suppose. Not a whole lot of getting ready to do anymore for me. Boys are in their 20s, so less than when they were children, of course. But, yeah, I'm up just about there.
5: Yeah, that's right,
11: yeah. Well, this time of year is not like any other year. It's a little different than usual. Well, I usually help about a half a dozen families, uh... Every year, or, and sometimes during the year, with uh, some food and all that stuff. I mean, it's not much, but it's a little bit, right? And this year here, I got overwhelmed. I had like 20 families. I'm still managing. I got two more to to work on, but I'm I'm managing to help them all out. So you mean there is, most of them has got uh, they got to pay their bills and pay whatever it is to to uh, rather than eat. That's their problem. And I've been into some of their houses, and they got nothing in their fridges. I mean, it's sad. So, I mean, it just breaks my heart. I mean, there's people out there living there and there's there's all kinds of people out there that actually can help help them. And they know about these people or how these people's living, but it's sad. I mean, we know that uh, the Salvation Army is there and the food banks, but, I mean, the food banks is overwhelmed. Salvation Army is overwhelmed. And you've, if you're individual, if you've got more than one vehicle in your property, if you've got a vehicle at all or you got a hot tub or a jacuzzi or something like that, you should be able to help. Some of these people, you I mean, just buy a bag of food. I'll go down, I'll look around for discounts into the stores. You I mean for like 50% off at uh, Dominion or, or Low Foods or whatever, right? You I mean to help these people because I mean it's sad. You mean, you mean I don't spend a whole lot of money on it, but I mean it's, it's everything counts for them. You I mean it's it's a sad time of the year, and this year here it seems to be more needy and more harder for for. For individuals, I don't know. Was because the cost of living has gone up probably a little bit of everything. I guess because you I mean our services, our taxes, our services pretty much taken away. You I mean it takes you about a year to see a doctor, and even if you had one, you still can't see it, and you're you're taxed at it. So everything is cost more. You I mean it's just it's very difficult for 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 many people out there. and and I know we have a housing shortage. but What I don't understand, we got houses available here in the, on the Port Port Peninsula, Newfoundland Labrador Housing, and there's nobody living into it. I mean, they're just left there, and they don't even want to rent them out or let people stay in them. So, and they have properties around that could be put to use, and that's owned by Labrador Housing. So I don't understand some things. Right? I mean, it's, it's very difficult, and it's sad. And I just hope that people, in the goodness of their heart, if they know anybody or even if they think that they're struggling, Ask them if you need help. Ask them if you need help. Help them out. Give them a little bit of food. Even for the elders, going scripts, know all the steps. They can't afford to pay you because they got no money. They can barely eat. You see them down, struggling through, pushing their carts through town with groceries, carrying uh, uh, grocery bags, two or three in each hand. and They're struggling. Stop and pick them up. And get them a ride to their home. They can't afford a taxi. They can barely afford to eat. Most of them is getting their shopping at the dollar stores and food banks it's to survive. So what's sad? I'm just asking all the people in the goodness of heart to help these people, if you know of them or see them. And the government, with all these other available live or housings, to do something and put some of these people that live in the homes into them because there are vacant ones here. I know of a few here, like Campbell's Creek, Phil They're just some of the communities that I can name of or label that right hand, that has them available, right? But there's many more.
1: Look, I mean, I suppose I know as well as anybody just about how many people are struggling and the various things people need, and it's not just what happens on air on this program. There's uh, endless requests for assistance and calls and stuff and food and medicine that we we feel all the time and so I get it and if folks out there and I know everyone's stretched thin for a dollar my, my purchasing power is vastly d- uh, different than it was say even this time last year so but if you can the help is the the need is real and so whatever type of little leg up people can get especially this time of year will be very well received and much appreciated by everybody around uh, Sam anything else you want to say this morning
11: no nope, that's about it I mean uh, just people at this time year, the kindness to your heart, and governments, I mean, make availab- availability for, for these uh, homeless people, and even if you got to build little outhouses with beds or something about that size, just get out of the weather and shelter, place to wash and place to keep warm, and if you have a soup kitchen set up somewhere, I mean, there's a lot of vacant buildings around, And I you mean, I just hope that, that the governments will look at this here for this part, but for the people, I mean, it's, Mar- it's Christmas time. Help everyone. Help the needy. There's a lot of people that tell you, to be surprised I need. I mean, that's what I'm asking for. And and you know, the goodness of your heart and, and the goodness of the Creator for whatever religion you are, there's about 20-something different celebrations during this time of the year. I mean, look for the goodness of your heart. And if everybody believes in one God and the same God, no matter what religion you are, we all have the same God to believe into. And I wish everybody a, a Merry Christmas and, and a joyous holiday that's coming ahead. And you too, Patty, and and VOCM listeners, and and VOCM as
1: well. I wish you well. Thanks for the time and the message this morning.
11: You bet. You have a good day.
1: You too. Thanks, Sam. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. He's not wrong. The need is patently obvious. Let's go to uh, line number two. John, you're on the air. Good morning, John. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. How about you? Great. Uh, I just want
8: to say Merry Christmas to yourself and uh, to your listeners.
1: I appreciate it. Same to you. I'm
8: calling, I'm calling this morning to just reach out to uh, those who have participated and supported our uh, Toy Drive event uh, here in the Isthmus area. Uh, We raised uh, $7,800 worth of toys and gifts for uh, ages uh, up to age 16. We've uh, distributed uh, some of those uh, packages that we put together for families that have reached out and the remainder we donated to the Arnold's Cove Salvation Army for their distribution with their uh, Christmas hampers.
1: Oh, so John, you're the fellow at the Motorcycle Club. Yes, I am. Right, okay. Uh, It just popped in my head.
8: Yeah, anyway, I just wanted to reach out and say thanks for helping us out. I am disappointed on one thing, though, and over the last three events that we've done, I've reached out to NTV on multiple, multiple occasions, emails and and such, uh, but I didn't didn't get any return from uh, uh, return correspondence from uh, uh, NDV news it's so unfortunate because uh, it probably would have helped out our event a little more you know what I mean
1: absolutely a bit of media coverage goes a long way in the just in simply awareness but John it sounds like you and the club did good work here and it sounds like a pretty big success all the same.
8: Yes, it was. And I just want to say thanks to uh, our club membership and their spouses and families for all of the work and those that have donated uh, their hard earned money to support this effort to include a couple of companies from Ontario and a couple of individuals in the United States.
1: Good on you, John. Makes someone's Christmas a lot better because of what you and the club have done. So I appreciate your time and uh, good job.
8: Alright, thank you very much again. Merry Christmas to you and your listeners.
1: Same to you, John. All the best. All right. Here we go. Bouquet on the toy drive. Have some cash there as well. Alright, let's take a break. Herb, you're next to talk about the need for volunteers. Oh, I think I recognize this, Herb. We're talking
0: about a housing issue, I believe. Don't go away. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great. The Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number six. Good morning, Herb. You're
1: on the air.
9: Good morning, Patty. I'd like to say Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and Happy Holidays to you and all the listeners. The same to you and yours. Thank you very much. Now, I was going to give you an update on this housing thing we talked about last week. Yep. And uh, anyway, I uh, between the jigs and reels, after I talked to you, I was made a few more calls, and Newfoundland Housing got all of it. And I got a call this morning from uh, a lovely lady named Sherry Talk from Newfoundland Housing. And she was really impressed and pleased that I put the uh, uh, offer out there to volunteer to get some of this housing done. And she said, we have a lot of houses between St. John's and Dr. Harnell's Cove in this area, she said. And we have, uh, she, she was thrilled that, you know, she said that you're going to volunteer. But she said, we have lots of work, lots of houses to do, repairs. And like she started, I said, I could do that, that, and that, you know. Yep. Anyway, uh She said, the the thing is, am I covered under workman's compensation? I said, probably not. But I said, I'm retired. I have my own insurance and my pension and everything else. should be covered that way. So she is running it up the chain to see whether myself and guys like me that are retired uh, can actually work legally in this position, right, as a volunteer, So I'm waiting to hear back from her, and she said, uh, hopefully be back soon, and we could get something in the range for the new year. I said, well, that's what I'm after, something that we can do, get this long-term situation under control.
1: So, Herb, you said they're looking at or evaluating the legality. Is this simply about liabilities, like workers' comp and stuff?
9: Exactly, 100%, Patty, yes, yes. So uh, once they get that figured out, uh, I mean, uh, I don't need to be covered under workers' comp, if I'm, I, I, in my opinion, if I'm volunteering, because I'm under Veterans Affairs, so I'm covered. And if I get hurt at home, I'm covered, right? So I'm, I'm assuming it's the same. I don't know. But if it's a matter of having to throw a bit of insurance on us, they could probably do that, I would think. shouldn't be too hard to do.
1: Yeah, there's going to have to be some uh, assessment of liabilities because everybody, whether it be a volunteer organization and or the government or a private business that gets involved here, everyone has to consider the liabilities. Exactly. Yeah.
9: So so if they can figure that out on that end, because that's not for me to figure out, if they can figure that out on that end, they let me know, then that's what I'll put a call out for if I can get more volunteers in in my situation to help with that. i got a couple on hand right now, but I'm going to leave them on the back burner until... They come back with something uh, significant and something firm that we can, yeah, go ahead with uh, with this project.
1: And, I mean, here we are. It's 10 days away from the date with um, uh, which uh, Minister Abbott said that there won't be anybody there, or hopefully there won't be anybody living in the tents behind the Colonial Building. You know, we also hear Paul Davis from the Gathering Place a little disheartened the way that hear some of those uh, folks living in tents talking about exactly. the Gathering Place yeah. and the safe environment that he says is offered, and, you know, re- regarding violence and drug use and the like. Right. You know, what we're not really seeing, look, there's big pots of money out there, and there's a five-point housing Absolutely. plan for the provincial government. There's $4 billion at the federal level. But what we haven't heard a whole lot of, beyond things like conversations like you and I are having here, is addressing acknowledging the immediacy of the need. There's no way we can build the number of homes required in this province or country overnight. It's going to be That's a true. long, arduous task. So getting people off the street, out of the tents, and somewhere. Somewhere is absolutely going to be transition housing. Like the Permanent solutions cannot be found by Christmas Eve. It just can't be done. No, so, Absolutely not. I don't know what absolutely we're going to
8: do.
9: No. Uh yeah, it's uh I feel feel for these people not in these tents. I mean like I don't know how he's gonna get them out of there. I, I have no idea, but uh unless they put them up somewhere, you know, in a, uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh I don't have the answer for that. But uh he said I I don't know what he's gonna to do to get them out of there by uh but by Christmas, uh, I, I don't to see it happen.
1: Well, uh, the only way it's going to happen, realistically at this point, is hotel rooms. I mean, yeah, that's I where it's going to end up being. Because if they if they won't accept a place in an emergency shelter, and I know that's not mm-hmm. what they want, but we're also talking about mm-hmm. the reality on the ground. But what can be achieved in the course of ten days? Look, the government kind that's of that. dragged their feet on this for a bit too long. The housing crisis is not new. It didn't just start when they put a, a tent across the street from Confederation Building. No. That just brought a, a renewed and different kind of focus on the issue so you know whether it be the the sleep shelter things and the sleep trailers and modular homes and tiny homes things that can happen but not by Christmas Eve but I don't really know if people are understanding the immediacy of the need and yes of course there are people that could be doing better on their own accord to deal with issues like their own housing issues but the fact of the matter is the winter is coming and people are outside we should have a collective effort to find out what we can do I'm pretty sure it's only going to be a hotel room for the short term and then we figure out another transition. we just got a a, a funny mindset in this country. You know, uh, uh, housing is simply a part of our GDP. We may use it as an economic measure, how many housing starts, as opposed to a place to live. Things changed some three decades ago, and now we find ourselves in that. It's not just here, folks. Don't pretend this is a Newfoundland and Labrador sole problem. It is everywhere in the country. It's across the country, so right from Vancouver Island right to here. 100%. So, Herb, uh, you keep up the good work. Let me know when they figure out the liability legality issue.
9: I will let you know that and uh, keep in touch, and I'm hoping this is a a good – this is more of the long-term solution, Patty, that I'm looking at here. Oh, sure. And uh, I wish I could help more with the short-term, but – uh, there's not much I can do in my capacity right now. I can, just, I can do what I can do, right, to, to, to pitch in.
1: That's all you can do, and I appreciate what you're doing, Herbert. Thanks for your time this morning.
9: Okay, Patty, thank you very much, and uh, talk to you
1: soon. Do the very same to you. Take okay. care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, there we go. Yeah, people out there want the help, but that is a, a, an interesting concern that they're trying to figure out whether it be on the liability issue. So anyway, let's keep rolling. Let's go to line number one. Barb, you're on the air.
12: Hi, good morning. Good morning to you. I would love to throw a bouquet of roses to the daffodil place and to all their caring volunteers. I was there for a month. I just came home on the 21st. That place is amazing. You know, Patty, they have drivers every Monday to Friday, 8 until 4. It will take you to your doctor's appointment and bring you back to the It's amazing. Like I talked to one driver, she has been doing it for 10 years. And like, it's, it's amazing how, how good everything is. The, the home-cooked meals, like, I'm really going to miss them because I live on my own right now. And uh, they even have entertainment at least once, once a week. They had uh, a six, well, it's supposed to have been a six-piece stand, but it was a five-piece stand called the Overpass. Oh, my goodness. They were so good. They, they really lift up your day. And I just wanted to say thank you to Daffodil Place and all their many volunteers.
1: It's a great place. I mean, the, it's comfortable surroundings. The food is good. The drivers are, are are lovely to their residents or the patients as they transport them back and forth. So I'm glad that it worked for you. You were into, at Daffodil Place from where, Barb? Where do you live?
12: I live in Kings Cove. In went there. I went there October fourteenth, and I left on November twenty-first.
1: And how are you feeling?
12: I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really good. Missed the staff because they're they're so loving. And um, while I was there, I met a couple that celebrated their 60th anniversary there.
1: It's unfortunate that you have to be in town for cancer care, but we're lucky to have a place like Daffodil Place. And, you know, there's so many different organizations that need. We do a lot of work with Daffodil Place here at VOCM, you know, with the one-night stand and what have you. Oh, yes, yes, so, of course. you know, they, when the capital campaign was originally underway, They only raised money to build it, not for operational cost coverage. So there's ongoing need at Daffodil Place. So if you were formerly there or, you know, someone who took advantage of it, you know, the home away from home that Daffodil Place is, that might be a nice place for your Christmas kindness this year as well.
12: Yes, for sure. You have a great day. Merry Christmas to you and all the staff.
1: The very same to you, Barbara. I'm glad you're doing well. Stay in touch.
12: Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye.
1: All right. uh, Let's go ahead and take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number one. Doc, you're on the air.
10: Ouch. Hi, Paddy. How are you?
1: Doing okay. How about you?
10: Good. Pretty good. Bye. Uh, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a great New Year and everybody at VOCM and right across the province. I hope we have a great year in 2024.
1: Fingers crossed because 23, and I would imagine, I guess it's fair to say, the last few years have been challenging.
10: No doubt about that, uh, I have to say. I want to delve in, Patty, for a moment on this Compass Group issue. Sure. Uh, I mean, we all know the, the heavy cost, financial cost of our healthcare system. It's probably the biggest item in the provincial government budget by by far.
1: Well, $4 uh, billion out of nine, yeah. Yeah.
10: So, you know, if we can save money and not in any way impair services, then we should haul out all the stops to try and do that. And I don't know Mike Kingdom, but I've talked to him a few times, and I know he's called you a few times, and I've listened to everything he's had to say, and I've, I've delved into a bit of it. And uh, what really puzzles me is that Mike has done his homework, he's done his research. He's laid it all out publicly. He's called out provincial officials and bureaucrats from the premier down to at least respond to what he's saying and what he has found out. And to this day, nobody from the premier to the minister of health, nobody has Given the other side, the government side of that story, nobody has phoned. nobody has, there's been no word, there's just been silence from the provincial government. And you know, you know what they say about silence, silence gives consent. Other thing they say about silence is that something smells. So... And and I think the last time I talked to you about it, I, I in fact, said uh, I wish somebody, the Minister of Health, the Premier, any of those people that, that Mike has has uh, mentioned on, on open line and, and brought into the public eye, to make a statement to the public. Is the man correct in what he's saying? If so, why isn't something being done about it?
1: It's a fair question. So, uh, you know, after the most recent call with Mike, I just had a look around and see about some of the timeline associated with these contracts that were being signed. And there was one story popped up where NAEP, through Access to Information, was trying to get a look at these contracts, and they were rejected. And so there was a bunch that were signed very much in the same time frame. So there was Morrison Healthcare, Compass Group, Crothill Healthcare, Paladin Security, Vinci Park Indigo. And they were looking for all of those contracts. Now, not all of these are the potential big problem that possibly the Compass Group is. Like, for instance, with Paladin Security. Okay, a private security company. That kind of makes sense because that's how the world of security is offered, by and large. But inside Compass and Carothel Healthcare, there are some massive questions to be asked. You know, Compass, if people care to look, and this is recommended by Mike all the time, I wouldn't be able to pick Compass Group out of a corporate lineup. But they've got a bit of a tattered past, to say the least. So their involvement in our healthcare system is, I think absolutely questionable it's impossible to get any information but the next time that the minister responsible is on this show before we get into numbers of doctors and nurses and scope of practice and you know collaborative care clinics we're starting with Compass Group.
10: Yeah and I think you know Eddie my experience has been that uh, one way to deal with a problem is to say nothing and the attitude sometimes is well look uh, if we respond, we're only going to keep the the issue uh, in the public eye. So let's just say nothing for a while, and it'll go away. And and we, you know, that's the road that we may be going down uh, when it comes to these costs that are attributed to uh, to the Compass Group. So again, I'd put a call out to the Premier, who's been called out on this. Uh, Minister Osborne, the Minister of Health who's been called out on this Uh, the Auditor General who's been called out on this let's hear from you if there's another side we, the public, have the right to know.
1: Yeah, I mean, the minister of the day is a good place to start, you know, <laughs> for Tom Osborne, yeah. and this is some of the problems here, is when the minister's portfolios change his hands, when you try to go back in history to look at some of the context and the timing and the people who were involved, because, of course, we have to include the procurement office, and it's virtually impossible to speak to someone directly working on procurement. But Minister Haggie, who was then the minister of health, because I think this is early 16 or late 15 when these contracts were signed, if I have my time frame right. So the Procurements Office, Minister Haggy, you know, it's, I don't know how much we can pin on people who weren't in government at the time but certainly people who were and were involved in the offing or the letting of these contracts we really need some more information here because I can't, yeah. uh, one, one thing, I can't for the life of me understand how we couldn't have either a local or a domestic company or people actually living and working in this province offer what Compass offers to the health system. Like, why not? Jordan Brown, curiously, you talked about the Auditor General, Jordan Brown, the NDP mm. member for Lab West, he's asking the Auditor General to do an audit of NL Health Services. Good idea. $4 billion. Yeah. I know she has her sights set right now on the Newfoundland Labrador Housing Corporation, also a worthwhile piece of work, but certainly inside the world of health and the $4 billion and the privatization creep, we need to understand that what the hell is going on here.
10: No doubt about it, Patty. Now, before I leave, uh, you know, I usually don't comment on municipal issues, but Uh, i got to comment on this one, this municipal tax increase. uh, You know, most people are living, we're living in strange times, times I refer to as the verys, V-E-R-Y-S. The cost of living is very high. The cost of uh, food is very high. Interest rates are very high. People are suffering with very high mortgages. And on top of all these very highs, the city finds this time to bring in a fairly sizable municipal tax increase. And, uh, you know... My hair really does go out too. Is all right for Councillor Ellsworth to say, you know, the average tax increase is is twenty dollars a month. Uh, one of the communications company tried that on me a while ago, and I said, hang on, because they indicated, well, twenty dollars a month was not bad, you know, for your your internet service and so on. The increase, and I said, well, it's two hundred and forty dollars a year, and she said. Yeah, I never looked at it that way. Well, I say that as a consumer, you got to look at it that way. So it- it's not twenty dollars a month. For some people it will be for others, young people and, and other people who have very expensive homes and there's a lot of them around the city, five and six and six hundred and fifty thousand dollars and four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. They're carrying very high mortgages. What is it, the announcement yesterday that the huge number of people whose mortgages are going to be renewed this, this year, twenty twenty four, at a higher Rate. And on top of all that, we're, we're getting a fairly sizable municipal property uh... increase i mean you're into what thirteen fourteen percent
1: thirteen roughly? yeah thirteen yeah, you know, percent on the average about two hundred forty bucks for the average home which is not yeah. a very helpful number so thirteen percent is basically what we should be talking about now there's some things yeah. look i mean we all know inside the world of cost of living and doing business it's increased for me as an individual it's increased for this company and it has increased for municipalities not much anyone can do about the cost of asphalt and concrete or two by fours or whatever for instance but I have huge questions about how we've managed the fleet in the infrastructure of uh, garbage trucks or snow clearing. You know, when I speak to people who know more about it than me, fleet rotation is generally acceptable around 15%. We're talking about 60% of the snow clearing equipment was down for extended maintenance last year. Not really sure that's the, uh, the way that we should be managing a fleet. comes with a whopping big cost in just one year, I think a 27% increase in the snow clearing budget, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. now over $25 million. But again, You know, the price of salt, the price of asphalt, the price of concrete is one thing. But for in one fell swoop, garbage trucks and snow clearing machinery going to cost me an additional 13% of my property tax. You know, I I know it's not just those two things, but they're the the two big contributors.
10: Well, and you know, I I also deal like the last few days I've been saying to myself, what if, like the what if, um, you know, what if we had made a deal with Dean McDonald a few years ago when he was interested in buying the Mary Brown center
1: yeah but now was and that ever a real deal that was actually put on yes, paper and proposed
10: it was a deal there in the making and uh, mm. and uh, nobody at City Hall really wanted to meet with Mr. McDonald, so the the deal fell off the uh, off the table. And now we're into a subsidy of six point seven million dollars a year, which is uh, a lot of cash. That uh, what if we had sat down and made that deal might have been a different world. And you know, I look at what if we hadn't signed on to the. Uh, 2025 summer games Uh, you know we had that opportunity for the 2021 summer games we being the city and uh, we turned it down because of the financial costs, and we didn't figure the city uh, back in 2016 or 2017 uh, could shoulder the the costs that having the games, hosting the games, would, would well, bring. Well, I don't know. So we let it go. There's
1: big provincial and, and federal dollars involved with that too. which just hard to look yeah. that gift horse in the mouth. Uh, on top of that, the economic uptick for hosting the games is real. I mean, and even some of, I know people will argue about you know legacy infrastructure, what have you, but We're not talking about the Olympics and billions of dollars, right? We're talking about a few million dollars from the city on this one. I do think the economic shot in the arm is important here. Uh, And also, in addition to that, had we said no to 25, we were off the list forevermore. Never get a shot at it, regardless if we had a $100 million surplus.
10: I don't, I don't know, you, you mentioned a few million, I don't know, and I don't think anybody knows yet what the final cost to the city would be, the net cost after, and I, I mean, I'm in favour of all these things, all I know is the decision we made back a few years ago when we looked at the financial condition of the city and we said, no, uh, we're not going to do it, and we just, we replied back and said, no, we're not willing, I, I know there's federal money in it and provincial money in it, I know. Those economic benefits in it and so on. All I'm saying is that this is kind of like the wrong time to hit people with a property tax. Increase.
1: Yeah, but of course, your your thoughts are coming on the heels of a budget this year when this decision to host the Games in 25 was made oh, yeah. years ago. So Yeah, that's right. The financial reality uh, I mean, today. I,
10: I wouldn't have changed my mind a few years back when it happened. I kind of said to myself, gee, uh, are All we right. in a financial position to do that? So Understood. I'm late uh, for the
1: news, Doc, but a last word to okay. you.
10: Okay, take care.
1: You too. Merry Christmas.
10: Okay, Merry Christmas! All the best, bye. Doc. Bye, bye. Thanks.
1: Bye. Okay, uh, quickly before we get to the break, one more reminder on behalf of the folks at the Eating Disorder Foundation: It's the Fly Away Ticket Sweep. One more time today, ticket sales end at noon tomorrow, Friday. Tickets are fifty bucks. There's only two hundred of them printed. It's a trip for two via Air Canada anywhere in North America, including Hawaii, Mexico, and the Caribbean. So you can call the Eating Disorder Foundation at 709-72-0500 or email them at info at E-D-F-N-L dot C-A.
0: All right, there we go. Let's take a break for the news. Don't go away. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM.
1: Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line two. Tony, around the air. How are you this morning, Teddy? Okay, you? I'm good, Thanks.
13: Uh, for August, uh, just in case I don't get you next week, Happy, uh, Merry Christmas to you and all the family and everybody out there. Same deal. The Same deal. Yes, I was uh, phoning because of this this private uh, health care. I mean, you got, as I hear you saying, our nurses get paid $4 million. the ones they're bringing in are getting 18 Uh Now, what what they're offering now is that uh, anybody that's out of this uh, contract is coming in, they're getting. The first chance now overtime, a hundred dollars an hour when they could bring in our was and get regular pay. Like it doesn't make sense what these guys are doing. I mean, they got I mean, the same thing with this nurse at this eight one one number. I mean they were paying about it said eighty one million after that it was fifty nine dollar thing works out to almost double what they're getting. your pharmacy could have done that. They're only renewing prescription, and anything after that, you gotta go to the emergency. So, I mean, that's
1: not exactly true, but you know we have had 811. We've talked about phone med on this program many, many times because far too frequently what happens is someone calls that number 811, and what they get is a referral to the doctor and/or the emergency room. So we're paying twice. Yeah.
13: I mean it doesn't make sense what they're doing. I mean now, and uh, it's the waste of money that's going on is just unreal. Uh, you got uh, everything going, and now you got a contracts coming up for. I mean uh, this just air air ambulances and you got also you had Tom Osborne on there uh one day I think it, within the last two weeks and he was saying we were talking about this this uh Medicare or whatever and anyway this uh virtual care. And he was saying that the doctor, President of the Doctor Association sat in on the on the on the meeting. what he didn't say was the doctor was on after that President of the Doctor Association was on V O C M news and he was saying that they didn't know how it was going to work. And he said the government didn't even know how it was going to work. But then when he came out again and announced this was going to happen you know, in the last few weeks, he was out once again last week, a week before last, on NTV News. And he was also saying that if for this now for next two years, for anybody that couldn't get it out in rural areas, it would be all right for the first two years. But after that, he said, you need doctors. We need doctors hired. And he really don't agree with this. And so Tom missed all these, well, which he would, which I missed all these, What's going on? So, I mean, it's really costing, i say, about hundreds of millions of dollars to bring in contractors. When we have our own people here, that would do it for less. Just like that doctor out there who put a bid on, the, on this for, thing uh, think, $3.5 million a year, and we got $11 million a year from a U.S. company. Like, nothing makes sense about
1: doing this. Yeah, we're still That's looking fine. for some more information there. Uh, Dr. Young from Medicuro has an opportunity to sit down with the procurement team to see where his bid came up short, what boxes weren't checked. And so when that happens, we'll have the doctor back on so that we can get a better understanding as to how and why we needed to hire Teladoc versus Medicuro for the, the huge difference between $11 million and 3.5. Yeah, we're still working on that.
13: Yeah, because right now, and again, they had two emergencies closed last week, or up sometime this week, and then they had Carbon Air closed because of the services. So, I mean, it's just nonstop. Like, where are you going to get the doctors and nurses when you don't have the staff now to keep emergencies open? Like, I read really everything in this question out there.
1: Yeah. Now, in all fairness, in my personal opinion, the issue regarding health care professional shortages, again, we're competing with the, uh, all the various provinces and countries. So it's not just here. I mean, just think about the kerfuffle that happened when Saskatchewan was here aggressively trying to recruit our healthcare professionals. Then a bit of tit for tat, and then we went out to Saskatchewan to do the same thing. We've arrived at a place where we're in a provincial territorial bidding war for healthcare pros. It's not working. It's just not the solution here. So we're competing with the entire country. To get doctors, nurses, LPNs up and down the HCW line. So, there, there well, you go. I
13: mean, this fire too, because they're burnt out, like you said, burnt out. Working all these hours, supposed to have more than ever before. And I mean, we we just went over this before. Like where they, we had doctors graduated here, and they never even got an offer. And I mean, you had. Like we went before, the woman's lady was working there in Tripassi and she, they, she was expected to drive through Holyrood and also St. Mary's on her own dime. And they were, and she only asked for $7,500 extra a year and they wouldn't even pay her. So, I mean, this is the stuff. That doctors, a lot of doctors are leaving here because they're burnt out. And in fact, the They worked, you just can't do it anymore. They have got no family life. And the same thing with a lot of our nurses. So, But one other thing I like to hit on, that's the seniors. Uh, I see Tony Wakeham in the news there, I think it was this week, last week, and he was saying about how uh, right now it's uh, organization for seniors. They used to have a little bit of money from government, and they used to uh, basically just go around, pick up pick up hampers, deliver them to seniors with no cost. And then a little bit of funding they used to get from government. And now government has cut that out, and they're not going to give it back. But yet here they are putting hundreds of thousands of dollars for commercials on, about half good day, Donna, so far. And with one, one person going around picking up all these fruits and vegetables, which right now the seniors can't even afford to buy a meal or can't afford to pay their bills, and yet here they are putting on all this expensive commercial that people are going out. My God, they can't even afford to buy meat for going on a slice of bread. Like, it's unbelievable what the money that's wasted in this government and then you got people, you got food uh, hamper, or you got places up there, that shelters that people can't serve, they're empty most of the time now.
1: I can't recall, Tony, but were you as attentive and uh, as, as critical of the Tories when they were wasting all that money? I don't
13: remember. Okay, it, wasn't, it wasn't that much money wasted, because, there's, number oh, I one, they were working, they, they were the 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 people here was getting to work. You remember We contracted everything out when we had staff here, and, and they're sitting mm-hmm. down. And then you got people coming out like the nurses. They're paying contracts $100 an hour. And, and then we got people here that mm-hmm. could do the service for regular 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 hours. I mean, it doesn't make sense. And the food, hamper and the food, uh, I never seen that, because they used to get it one time. Now, now the government got it cut out. We get to run commercials on all this. Uh, but expensive food and peppers and all this in there. I mean, it doesn't make sense. I mean, slap in the face to seniors who can't even afford to eat or pay their bills. Like I never, we, we never ever had people living in tents before because they couldn't afford or. Uh, of course just, all, I mean, it's going on now. I mean, this is ridiculous. And then John Hogan tried to take uh, credit for saying that, well, we got, you know, as you can see, there's more or less people in tents and they were all down to another area. I mean, this is going Uh, on Uh,
1: to pretend homelessness is new is a big stretch but uh, anyway Uh, I appreciate this Tony You have a nice Christmas you too okay buddy all the best alright bye bye -bye. Uh, break time don't go away welcome back to the show let's go to line number uh, three Mark you're on the air
14: hey Paddy how's
1: it going okay how about you
14: not too bad. I mean, every day is a little bit stressful. Um, I've been uh, working hard for, what, two and a half years, I've been calling you, about housing and, and uh, our need to really uh, get some action done in this province on helping folks. And, of course, the, where we are right now is, you know, I'm at I'm at Kent City pretty much every day now um, trying to find solutions. So the reason I'm calling today is, is I, I just want to share with listeners and with the public that, you know, I've got a bit of a decision to make here. So uh, I was at the meeting there with the task force last week, last Thursday. Um, we met with John Abbott and his executive assistant there Tuesday and Doug Boston as well with homelessness. So there's John and Doug who are two members on the task force there. We met with them on Tuesday at Tent City to hear from some of the folks that are some of the residents and just to hear their what what it would take for them to, to get out of a tent and be somewhere safe. What do they want? You know, one said, I want my old place back in CBS. Uh, this is a senior. He doesn't know any of the he doesn't know the area here. He had a lot of connections in the in the community there so we we heard a lot of different stories and and uh what
1: caused I, that gentleman to lose his place in CBS
14: uh he was evicted it was basically a no fault eviction um he claims that it was based on him um admitting that he had mental health uh you know that he was suffering from some mental health issues okay um so the landlord basically evicted him um he's got he can't get his he cannot get his prescription medication because he can't afford the $10 uh dispense dispense fee um, whereas in CBS he was he knew the pharmacy you know he was able they they said okay don't worry next time around pay us when you get your OAS check so it really uh, i mean i think John Abbott and Doug were able to sort of hear like a a, a few very very Clear needs from residents down there. Um, and Patty, I also I, I took Danny Green there yesterday and showed him around, and we talked for a while about some of the issues. It, you know as as we've discussed, like they're super complex issues, but but here's the dilemma that I face now. I can offer a bit of a bridge to these folks for a task force, um, and I can go to a meeting tomorrow. But what I haven't heard is any commitment to systemic change in the policies that CSSD, that NL housing offer, uh, the policies that health offer, the policies that residential tenancies uh, works with. Like, these are the things that we need to hear announcements, not license, not, you know, license plates and um spending money on announcing the 75th anniversary, we need announcements on policy that is going to shift, that's going to allow people to... Uh, to do better in this province.
1: Okay. So, you know, when we are talking about what people who are living in those tents want, and of course they want a permanent solution, they want an apartment. But the fact of the matter is, and I'll get you to react to this, just for the purpose of conversation, is, the fact of the matter is, that's easier said than done. I mean, where is a permanent solution? Vacancy rate around here, somewhere less than 3%. Uh, Average price of rent in this uh, city, in this surrounding area, is pretty high. So this permanent solution that people people are talking about. What does that mean? Because for me, it sounds like asking for something that is probably not that easy to accomplish in the short term, I should add.
14: It's tricky. I mean, if they had started moving two months ago, three months ago, four months ago, a couple of years ago, then we'd be there by now, probably. Um, but here's, like like I said, the dilemma, yeah, I mean, this, you're absolutely right. This is hard to do to get Uh, you know, what is there, 150 people who are homeless right now that, uh, you know, we can ask in homelessness for the stats there, but like, you know, fixing all of those solutions in the way that everybody wants, which is a permanent, which is permanent housing. That's tricky to do. However, you know, we, we, have got to move there and we need an actual, we need to hear from the premier that that there's some real change that's on the horizon like, for instance, shelter standards, for instance, ensuring that even nutrients, even food in a shelter, like for 300 bucks a night, you probably saw my post, like you see what people are getting. It's 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 like a, a. I had folks comment and say that's a snack for a child and that's a full day meal in a private shelter for one person that taxpayers are paying 300 to 350 a night for. So we need you know, we need to hear. I need to hear something from the premier that says it's worth it to try to bridge these gaps in what people want and, uh, you know, and, and where we're going with this, they need to hear, they need to hear some hope. And if, and I've got a decision, do I just, do I help work this? Do I help bridge this, this gap? Or do I just ask the public to step it up a notch and rally for some more change and make some more noise and start to get together and protest at Confederation buildings and wherever else is needed.
1: I appreciate the concern and the time this morning. Last one. So I've heard from Paul Davis repeatedly in various different media outlets talking about he's disappointed to hear people talk about the gathering place the way they do. They talk about the, you know, self-respect and respect and trying to curb violence and drug use not permitted and, you know, chance to eat and get a shower and the like. Would you think it would be better than being in a tent at this moment in time? Because the gathering place seems to be different than some of the other emergency shelters, which are are deplorable. And we've talked about that and highlighted that problem for years here on this program. But do you think that that shelter at the gathering place would be better than in a tent at this moment in time? I know it's not what they want, but living outside comes with certain shortfalls and pitfalls when we talk about the winter temperatures and weather.
14: Yeah, Patty, I mean, you see the... You see the stress. You see the 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 like. This is not hard on folks staying intense. Or sorry, this this is hard on folks staying intense. It's not easy. There is stress. Um, so we talk we talk a lot about the gathering place as a solution, and this is part of the problem. It's same as you know, same as anybody. Do you want to go to McDonald's or Burger King? I don't think the, I'm
1: not Burger asking. A, I'm not asking about the gathering place as a solution. I'm talking about it as an option because it's not a solution. Yeah. Mercy shelters are not solutions to this problem. They're just a necessary component in our, the way we talk about transition housing in this country. You know, we have a whole staged process. You're homeless, we get you in a shelter, we get you in a short-term solution, then we try to find your permanent housing. As opposed to other countries that are doing much better on the housing file, saving money left, right and center because they get it right, with permanent housing being the go-to immediately versus the way we stagger it or the staircase model that we use. So, I'm not saying the emergency, or pardon me, a shelter at the gathering place is the solution. I'm talking about it as an option
14: today oh yeah and it's an option for some people and you know but like i said i mean there there has to be other options and it can't just be private shelter or the gathering place and we know it's not that that's not the whole picture right but the gathering place can't be because it's so foremost in our in our minds in terms of how they approach um some of these issues it it has we, we need more the reality is like there are folks that just can't go to the gathering place that don't want to go because they're going to get beat up or that they're going to run into somebody that they don't want to run into Um, like there are safety concerns just like there are safety concerns of people living in a tent in the winter there are safety concerns with people relying completely on a solution which is a middle-of-the-road solution like you know the gathering place is good but it, it cannot be the only solution and so we need other solutions. That's my, that's my call on that. The nonprofit shelters are 100% better than the private shelter solutions. Anywhere that gets people out of the cold is probably better than being in a tent. Except we know we, we know that there are no shelter standards. So things so we're, we're running into problems, and what people are feeling, Patty, whether it's a gathering place or a private shelter, is that there is no end. There's no end. They're circling around, and they're going the same place. They leave the gathering place, and they go somewhere else, or they leave a private shelter, and they go somewhere else, and it's not getting them to an end. And the end is only going to come when we have systemic change and when we get people in, in homes, and I need to hear that government is committed to that systemic change, whether it's income support Uh, policy changes, whether it's housing policy changes, whether it's residential tenancies policy changes, I need to hear, or health. I mean, this is all health. I need to hear that. And I need to hear that today, pretty much.
1: I appreciate the time and the effort you're putting in, Mark. Thank you.
14: Thanks, Patty, and thanks for being there to take this call and and to let the public know what's going on.
1: Happy to do it. Thanks for this. Take care, Mark. Bye-bye. Yesterday we had a caller with a very specific question on a new program that's being put forward, a three-year project regarding food insecurity. Now we know that the numbers here in this province are staggering. Some 22.9% of the households in the province experience some form of food security. Those are numbers coming from Food Bank Canada, and there was another report as well. This one was about the three-year project between the provincial government and the Maple Leaf Center for Food Security. So the investment is $1.8 million over the course of the three years. The confusion comes when there's reference made to that money and that project is going to help some 150 to 200 families deal with the food insecurity, getting about $150 a month. And of course, when you hear that number, you think, what? 22.9% of households have experienced some form of insecurity, food insecurity, and yet this is going to help 200 families. There's got to be more. The trick to that is going to be administered through the 16 family resource centers that are across the province. It's going to begin in January. The issue that brings it down to that lower number of 200 families is that those centers, they offer a bunch of different programs and service the families with children from the birth to the age of 6. So that's why that number of families is so low is because we're talking about families with the child is 6 or or Younger, So that's just some of the clarity required on that front. All right, we'll take a break for the news. Here are the numbers one more time for you to get in the queue and talk about whatever's on your mind. If you're in the St. John's Metro region, it's 709 Elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. We're taking a break, and then we're coming back. Your voice in Newfoundland
0: and Labrador's biggest conversation.
6: If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune
1: in to Open Line every day.
0: Have your say weekday morning, starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM.
1: Welcome back to the program. Based on a comment I made off the top of the show talking about the pending by-election in Conception Bay, East Belle Island, went on to say that there is a possibility of a general election, and there is. The emailer says, well, what about the fixed election date? Excellent question. That piece of, that reference to a fixed election date has really seemed more like a suggestion or a recommendation versus set in stone. looked no further than 2021 when the election was called, the most recent provincial election. So it's a good question as to why we don't adhere to it, but we have not for quite some time. So there might be a general election. And, you know, it's it's interesting. that Obviously, with the Tories holding on to Conception Bay East Bell Island for the last 20 years, they had their final caucus meeting of the year on Bell Island. So putting some hyper-focus on it, they can't really afford to lose that seat, even though it won't change the water and the beans with the uh, structure of power inside the House of Assembly. But obviously, I mean, this is painfully obvious to say, They all want to win. You know, the NDP think they have a good candidate with Kimberly Churchill. The liberals think they have a good candidate with Fred Hutton. The PCs think they have a good candidate with Tina Neri. So there's not pressure on one party more than the other. Possibly the Tories as the incumbent. Incumbents have had a hard time here in the recent past, though, as well. I mean, you look across the country, there's only one remaining provincial Liberal government standing, and that's Andrew Fiori's Liberals right here in this province. The rest of the country has changed hands, whether it be for the NDP and or the Tories and, of course, the Saskatchewan party who lost to the NDP in Saskatchewan, which is a fascinating outcome. So yes, with only one Liberal government standing and, of course, the federal Liberals, albeit trailing in the polls, the polls bounce back and forth. I've been asked many times, how come we're not acknowledging the fact that uh, the Tories are so far ahead of the polls uh, nationally, and I have, I've made reference to, but of course, snapshots in time with no election called and no real policy on the other side being put forward necessarily, I don't know if I make reference to many polls, including the one regarding popularity of provincial premiers. Andrew Fury is in decent stead in that front, but I've never mentioned that either. So I don't put a whole lot of value in polls until we get much, much closer to elections when we have some idea about what people are actually proposing on behalf of their party and the leadership. And I mean, it's also been quite curious to me over the years. We put a lot of stead into who the leaders are. Right? So when you're voting for the Liberals, is it because of the local candidate, which is kind of how I evaluate the ballot, versus just say a vote for a Liberal here is a vote for Justin Trudeau? Ultimately, it is, but that's how so many people make their decision. And 338 seats across the country, more about the leader than it is about their candidate, but so be it. Let's go to line number one and say good morning to the NDP member for St. John's Centre. He's leader of the party. That's Jim Din. Good morning, Jim. You're on the air.
0: Hi, Patty. Good Hi to there. talk to you.
1: Happy to have you on
15: just want to talk uh, make a few uh, observations or comments about the latest uh, i guess reinvention of task force the education think tank that, that that's being proposed to address the, uh, uh, the 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 i guess inclusive education and the resources that go into it And I can't help but think, you know, when I was president, I was on your show uh, more than once. We were talking about the need for resourcing in the classroom and some of the issues that were there. And here we are, I guess, it's been what – that was, I was in pre- office 2013 to 2017, and uh, there's been a, uh, two presidents uh, in the in- interim. I know this was an issue beforehand. We've had multiple reports on uh, the need for uh, re- uh, resourcing and, and uh, in the school system to deal with the issues. Uh, we had a government report last year on teacher allocation that they commissioned, and yet, uh, you know, here we are. We had uh, the K- Churchill family car- uh, fighting for... Uh, fighting for the the need the the resources uh, so that their child who uh their child who's deaf uh, and other children had the resources in the classroom that they needed and yet here we are in 2020 at the end of 2023 and we're now going to uh, uh, have a think tank on it i think the answers are there I think, from my point of view, I actually I know from my point of view, uh, action is needed. Uh, we, if anything else, there's a budget coming up in 2024, then I don't know how committed this government is to addressing it, uh, rather than uh, picking around the edges by putting something in the budget that's going to actually address the class size and class composition. Well, I mean, in
1: this most recent budget, Jim, there was only $12 million outside of infrastructure for the K-12 system.
15: That's right. And, look, uh, I think, it, at, in 2016, it was this government, they brought in full-day kindergarten. I had no issue with that. I think it's a fantastic idea, but they took teachers, they, they, they reduced the teacher allocation in the rest of the system, and what they introduced then was combined grades and they increased class size. They did not address the composition issue, and I know I've been br- talking about this in the House of Assembly uh, when it came to newcomers and the need for uh, the supports there, and still nothing. The half the reason I challenged uh, then Minister of Education Tom Osborne to come, uh, come with me and we'll teach for a week in the uh, primary uh, system, and you'll get, a, you'll get an eyeful uh, and an earful, because I will say this, primary and elementary teachers in particular most of this uh, violence occurs and even the they're a special breed of teachers uh, and they 're highly professional and they do they do their level best, and the school administrators themselves are trying to fight to get the resources, but they 're up against a coal wall, a, 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 a brick wall on this but i i mean patty i don 't know to me we don 't need a think tank <clears throat> think tank implies what what can, what little ideas can we come up with put Put the people in the deal with the children. Look, children have uh, their uh, complex needs have increased. Then address that so that they have the best possible education. I mean, to me, it's straightforward. I don't need – there have been reports on this with recommendations in my career as a teacher we don't need. Uh, we, if anything, if this is a think tank, but how do we implement these measures? And maybe we've got something. But I, I mean, I'm I'm totally frustrated with this approach.
1: Yeah, I mean, insofar in as the teacher shortages and sub shortages and specialist shortages and ASL teachers, I'm kind of struggling to understand why, because the school population of students is somewhere in the neighborhood of 66,000 hasn't changed dramatically over the years and it seems to me once again not that long ago an opportunity to train as a teacher to work as a teacher pretty secure profession with reasonable pay and reasonable benefits is not as attractive as it once was and when we talk about specialty training to deal with children who need that additional layer of support and or an asl uh, teacher or interpreter you can't really force anyone to take on those disciplines as an educator so I don't really even understand how we make that more attractive if it has to be come with a different incentive like we've applied to healthcare workers because we don't seem to give it the type of attention that we give to healthcare and housing and what have you when in fact I say it all the time and I'm going to stick with it because I think it's right we get it right in education we get those other things right so I just don't know how we attract people to take on these more uh, comprehensive training roles required.
15: Well you know because I, I've talked in the last year. Uh, uh talk to teachers with teachers who are at least, uh, that's it, seasoned uh, t- t- teachers are just quitting. They said, enough is enough. But it's interesting, the student population has declined, but the needs have gotten greater. Look, I remember uh, when I was d- doing my internship, uh, my, my, my teaching degree, that was way, way back in the, uh, uh, the I volunteered for a, a couple of semesters at Exxon House, which is basically where most of the children with high-level needs would have uh, would have been housed but when you integrate them into the school system I think there comes uh, uh, there comes uh, that the need to make sure that the resources they're putting simply putting people into the school system is not being in, in, in inclusive education or I visited when I was uh, I, 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 when president visiting schools on the uh, on the Labrador coast I remember in one classroom the teachers there there themselves were trying to teach uh, there were trying to teach themselves sign language because they had a, um, a deaf child in a class. the school for the deaf had been closed, but I'd never found that the uh, district did what it uh, like uh, to put uh, to address the, the supports in the classroom for both teacher and, and student and I think here you know I will say this I've taught large classes uh, of academic students and I've taught a basic English, and I will have to say that's at the high school level now. I, I was probably more uh, taxed and exhausted at the end of a, at the end of the uh, the basic English class because the ch- the students uh, uh, have have uh, the varying needs, and even though it was a much smaller class, so I think there's got to be a recognition that for some uh, children, there there's going to, you're going to have to look at not just class size, but the uh, but, uh, but class composition, and 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 make sure that there's that mix. But jamming, I think, at the uh, at the primary level uh, of having c- arbitrary class caps of 2025 20, and then having these so-called soft caps where we can exceed the number and ignoring the fact that maybe within that classroom you might have children uh, uh, over half the class on some with some diagnosed exceptionality children who may may not even speak the language, who may have, been, have never been in school before. Uh, I think there's got to be more to this. Like looking at the, uh, the, uh, at the class, I've been in cl- primary class where they've had some Small numbers, and my, my. I will say this: you can see um, the learning environment is much different. The teachers have more time to, uh, uh, to actually uh, give that one-on-one. So I think, like, this is not rocket science. And I think once you start improving that, that's when you, you, you find teachers feel, uh, feel that they're getting uh, that they're have a rewarding, uh, a rewarding career as, po- as opposed to always trying to put out fires. Well, I'll say one thing: you talked about the healthcare system. I will say this: if you don't have the nurses, the doctors—they will shut down the emergency uh, the ward, and, that, and we had that closure. But I will tell you, from my more than one teacher, that if, if they don't have enough staff on, uh, on, uh, on uh, hand, that will never happen in the school. And no, and everyone, as far as the public is concerned, it's going along swimmingly. In which case. The school is struggling just to, uh, to survive and, and to try to uh, meet the outcomes. Anyway, that's my last my comment on that.
1: As a former educator, president of the, at the NLTA, the story that I think upsets me or troubles me more than many people listen to the program, because we haven't had one single call on it, is the most recent report from PISA regarding math, science, and reading scores. Yep. Uh, it's just absolutely startling. Again, not an educator, no expert in the creation of the curriculum and or the delivery, but it seems to me that we kind of outsmarted ourselves you know when we change so quickly for there's no place for any mo- rote memorization of your times table. There's no place for the standardized testing. There's no place for teaching mathematics and science the way we used to. We have to change because times have changed. I'm not arguing that, but the trend is clear. What we're doing, it's either A, we're understaffed and won't have the proper approach to instruction, and we're spending enough time on math and science, or the curriculum is flawed. So I don't know what it is, or maybe it's a combination of student appetite, student interest, attention span, you know, a variety of moving parts here, but something's got to give. In this province, the math math scores have dropped 29 points. Nationally, 15. And 20-point drop means uh, basically a loss of a full year of learning. So this is a huge issue for me.
15: So, And and, and it's an issue for me. But I'll I'll say one or two things on that. First of all, PISA... Is a it's an, a, a test that uh, developed by the OECD uh, OECD so it's an, uh, or an economic it's an economic think tank for lack of a better word but let's make sure we're also comparing apples to apples in terms of uh, like the countries that are doing well and the approach that they take into to the uh, to the testing uh, and 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 how they uh, and uh, and I guess the composition of classes but I'll go back to our province I think too it comes down to uh, as well what are the resources in the classroom because if you've got if you've got children who are, uh, let's say, if, if, if indeed you have a, a school lockdown or they're witnessing the violence or, or the, uh, they don't have the teachers to fulfill, the, the, it's going to have an impact on performance. So And not only that, Patty, I'll go, I'll go back one step further. If you've got families that are struggling to put food on the table uh, and their concern is about, uh, you know, the, you think about the stress on the child, what's going to be most important? I've seen the benefit, by the way, of like uh, like the community centers that actually, uh, and I think of Froud, the Froud Avenue Community Center in particular, of uh, the effort that they put in after the after-school programs to give the, the children every opportunity that they have. So I think when we're looking at uh, if we want better outcomes, I think we also need to look at making sure what are the supports in place for families themselves so that they have the resources uh, you know, like to just to clothe their children to get them the tutoring they need and so on and so forth. Uh, and I think it comes down to uh, in the primary grades, where do you Spend your time, um, you know, putting out fires or uh, instruction. Teach, look, I, 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 my hats are off to the primary and elementary teachers and junior high teachers, in particular, because I've seen, I saw what my wife did. She was a primary, uh, primary educator, uh, and, I, and the work she put into it. Um, I tell you, uh, it's just a matter of, about having resources. But to me, if we're concerned about PISA scores, then for and and about math outcomes and about children doing well, then what is it uh, they uh, what not only within school, but outside the school so that children have every opportunity to succeed.
1: Well, on that point, it's much akin to the report from the Child and Youth Advocate yep. based on chronic absenteeism. We yep. haven't done anything on it. We don't know why you're absent and what we can do about your absenteeism. We don't know, we haven't followed what happened to the grade 6 students, because the numbers, once again, come from Jackie Lake Cavanaugh. <coughs> if you were chronically absent in grade 6, there was a 75% chance you didn't graduate high school. That's a pretty big number.
15: I agree with you, and I will tell you, and that, and that is the truth. The more, the greater your Absenteeism—the later, uh, the uh, the uh, greater the chance that you're not going to finish school—and that we need to worry uh, worry about. Not just look at the absenteeism, but why? Absolutely. Is it, is it the curriculum, or is it the fact that the, uh, the that there are other things that are going on there uh, in their lives? So I think you know address it. But I think the other thing that comes down to—I'm not interested in think tanks. If all we're doing is is delaying a decision. I think it's going to come down to then we've got to have, and I, I talk about as a society and I think as a government, we've got to have the courage and the willingness to put the money in it and to fix it, otherwise you and I, uh, or another uh, leader, or we'll be talking about the math scores and the outcomes a year from now, two years from now, uh, and uh, it comes down to what do we need to do to fix the problem. And that means talking to uh, like, like with the NLTA, the teachers, the parents, and the students themselves, uh, but it comes down to doing action. I'm, I'm tired of think tanks and reports that end up going nowhere and and people forget about them after a while because something else uh, t- grabs the headlines. So
1: the answers are there, Patty. I appreciate the time, Jim. Thank you, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. Appreciate it. Jim Dean, NDP member of St. John's Center, leader of the party. Let's take a break. When we come back, Salvation Army Major Jamie Locke is in the queue. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number two. Say so good morning to Salvation Army uh, Major, Jamie Locke. Major Locke, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Thanks for reaching out
16: for an update from the Salvation Army. We need one. What is happening? It's uh, it's certainly a concerning uh, time of year for many people at the Salvation Army. We continue to see an increase in need, an increase in requests for help and assistance. Um, but I am pleased to share that you know our staff or volunteers are working diligently uh, to pack uh, food and toy hampers to ensure that every household that reaches out to us for help. Uh, has what they need to celebrate this Christmas season.
1: So where are we on fundraising? Because we all know times are tight and it's hard to stretch a dollar and my purchasing power is down, but the need is real. So how are we doing with cash in the kettle?
16: I think everybody's feeling the impact of inflation and the increased cost of living. Um, And I've had a couple conversations with our teams that are sharing that even as they're going out to uh, use funds that are donated to purchase toys uh, for our Christmas toy assistance program, uh, that they're not able to stretch the money as far as they once could. So we're feeling that impact. Uh, we are seeing a bit of an impact at the, at the kettles. Uh, right now, we're, we're encroaching on the $600,000 mark. Uh, we do have a, a campaign goal of $1.2 million for uh, the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. It's absolutely critical uh, that we raise these funds, that we reach uh, our goal, because the Salvation Army's programs and services, not only at Christmas, but all throughout the year, are dependent upon these vital funds.
1: So, halfway there to the stated goal, if I remember correctly, you raised about that amount last year. Am I right?
16: Absolutely. And you know, annually we would we would look to set an increase in our goal. But we, uh, we're trying to be, um, of course, responsible stewards of the funds that are donated to us. We also acknowledge the, uh, the impact that the uh, high rates and cost of living are having upon people. So, you know, the average household is not able to give as much as, as uh, perhaps they could in the past. You know, Patty, we're also seeing an increase in the amount of people coming to us um, requesting assistance and uh you know a bit of an alarming statistic would be that 31% 31% of people that uh have come to us this year Uh, have identified as it's being the first time that they've had to reach out for help and so we all can imagine we all know uh, what that uh, must feel like and at the Salvation Army we do our best to treat people with compassion uh, with dignity and to try and make it a process where yes like a a burden is lifted off of uh, the weight of of the shoulders of of parents of caregivers of guardians so that they can move into the Christmas season knowing that they can at least have this time of celebration where there's a little bit of food in the cupboard and in the refrigerator. And, of course, there's gifts underneath the tree.
1: The kettles are everywhere, folks, and they're easy to spot. And, of course, there's a digital opportunity. You don't need cash in hand to make a donation these past couple of years. So, again, we make this plea knowing full well that the struggle is real, the needs are real, and the demand on the general public who have the capacity to make these donations are pretty stretched. But if you have that potential this Christmas season, maybe you can choose the Salvation Army and make a donation at the kettle where you do your shopping. Uh, final thoughts to you, Major Lock, before we say goodbye.
16: I just want to share, of course, that the Salvation Army is here to support all people in need. And so if there's anybody out there that may be listening that could use some help and maybe, you know, you've been trying to to make it on your own up until this point, uh, please reach out to us at the Salvation Army. You can visit us online at salvationarmy.ca, and there you can find the local Salvation Army in your community, and we uh, we exist to help. Uh, So please do reach out to us.
1: We appreciate your time and your effort. Merry Christmas to you and yours, Major. Merry Christmas. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. That's Jamie Locke. He's a major with the Salvation Army. Oh, boy. All right. Final check-in on the Twitter box for VOCM Open Line. You know what to do. Comment on what you've heard here today. Suggest some topics and or conversations for tomorrow. Uh, email address is VOCM.com. but you know my favorite. We will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy table talk in the morning. Bye-bye.